Yes, we do. We have five. One, two, three, four, five. I got five. Good morning. The time is now 10.02 and we will start the meeting of Tuesday, May 23rd, 2017. This morning, we have 35 very special guests with us from the Urban League of Broward County and Deerfield Beach Middle School, the debate class of sixth graders. Would you please stand and lead us in the pledge? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is customary within our chambers that we observe a moment of silence for those who are serving both here and abroad. In addition to that, we recognize those within our community who we may have lost over the past weeks since having our last commission meeting. Commissioners, do you have anyone to recognize? In, in Manchester? Yes, sure. In case you're not aware, there was a tragedy at the Manchester Arena in the United Kingdom and there was a loss of 22 lives, and we would like to keep them in our thoughts and in our prayers. And Commissioner Ryan has someone to recognize. Uh, there's sad news that uh, Father William Collins recently passed. Uh, he died on May 10th. Uh, Father Collins was a, a local priest who had uh, ministered to uh, those persons in the LBGT community for many years, uh, he had founded a charity that uh, fed thousands of people, and his charitable work was actually recognized by Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who wrote a personal letter on his behalf. Uh, I'd also like to mention that uh, this Memorial Day on May 29th happens to be the 100th birthday of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy, uh, born in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, a president that inspired all with um, uh, creation of the Peace Corps and uh, advancing many uh, civil rights uh, uh, acts and um, issues. With that, a moment of silence, please. Thank you. You may be seated. So this morning, I'd like to let you know that Commissioner Lamarca is attending in Oregon a conference with the National Association of Counties. However, he did select the beautiful music that you've heard coming from our speaker system. The first song was by Frank Sinatra, and it's Come Fly With Me. And the second will be Journeys, Don't Stop Believing. And uh, before we get to the agenda, I would like to start... Um, with the Broward Means Business Moment by recognizing Cartaya and Associates. The proclamation will be presented to Mario Cartaya Sr. and his lovely wife. Can you please join me at the podium?
The proclamation reads, whereas Cartaya and Associates Architects provides a comprehensive array of professional design related services to governmental, institutional, and private clients, and whereas since its inception in 1979, Cartaya and Associates, 23 experienced professionals have been involved in numerous projects including city halls, performing arts centers, municipal libraries, higher education and K through 12 facilities, parking structures, parks, transportation hubs, warehouses, fire stations, water treatment facilities, hotels, commercial buildings, and private residences. My goodness, that's a mouthful. Whereas Cartaya and Associates has been the architects for hundreds of diverse projects, including the Broward County Courthouse, yay. Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, Terminal Number One, Concourses B and C, Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport Consolidated Rental Car Facility, the City of Miramar Town Center and City Hall, and the Pembroke Pine City Center and many others. Whereas Cartaya and Associates is committed to support effective communication with its clients, consultants, and general contractors from the pre-design analysis phase until the completion of construction in order to ensure prompt project delivery based on the owner's expectations and within the budget. And whereas because of its dedication to high standards and attention to detail, Cartaya and Associates has been recognized with numerous local, state, and national awards and proclamations. And whereas CEO Mario Cartaya Sr. has dedicated his life to the pursuit of excellence in his professional life and in the improvement of the community in which we all live, becoming an integral part of South Florida where he's chosen to live, work, and raise a family since 1976. Now, Therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the Board hereby designates Tuesday, May 23, 2017, as Broward Means Business, Cartaya and Associate Architects Day in Broward County, Florida. Hello, hello to all of my, my friends. Uh, in 1976, I made the decision to come to Broward County. I came here on vacation, fell in love with the city, more importantly, fell in love with the people of Broward County, and I decided that after graduation, I was gonna come and live here. I chose Broward County. I was not fortunate enough to be born here, but I chose it. And this love relationship that I've had with the city uh, led to my starting Cartaya and Associates in 1979. And since then, I have dedicated uh, our practice to doing the right thing, doing the right thing for the county. But I will tell you, it would not be possible uh, without uh, the people that stand in the office, the people that get the work done, uh, the vision that uh, the commission has, uh, the uh, staff that work for Broward County that allow us to do our best and uh, get things done. It, is, it takes a village to get these buildings designed and done. It's not just me, it's everybody. But from the bottom of my heart, I do want to thank the commission for always trusting me. 
and I do want to thank staff for always working with me as diligently and as pleasant as they do. And uh, thank you all for this honor. I, I know that it's a very special day for me. It's a special, very special day for my family. And again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Is he blaming me for something no, again? The next proclamation that we have is going to be given by Commissioner Michael Udine. I'm substituting for Chip on this one, so. Whereas the local emergency medical service system is an integral part of our community, which serves our residents and visitors through quality care, injury prevention, and ongoing skill development. Whereas the emergency medical service system consists of first responders, emergency medical technicians, paramedics, firefighters, educators, administrators, emergency nurses, emergency physicians, and others. 
whereas access to quality emergency care dramatically improves the survival rate and recovery outcomes to those who experience sudden illness or traumatic injury, whereas our local emergency medical services community has created unique initiatives for training and education for the emergency medical services community throughout the nation through events like the upcoming 21st annual First Their First Care EMS Conference and ALS nursing competition. Whereas recognition is due to emergency medical service personnel serving in all roles for their ongoing and unselfish dedication to Broward County residents, now therefore be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the Board hereby designates the week of May 21st through 27, 2017, as Emergency Medical Services Week in Broward County, Florida. Congratulations, okay. and I'm going to hand this to you, Chief. Thank you. Okay. Want to go up and do the picture? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Thank you. Good morning, Mayor, Commissioners. Um, on behalf of the men and women that provide this service in Broward County, I'd like to thank you all for this recognition. Uh, knowing that the men and women that took, take up this trade, this art, do not require nor look for recognition. We do it for selfless reasons. Um, Who would ever thought that uh, for myself and several others over 38 years in this service that um, in EMS we'd be wearing bulletproof vests to carry out our job. But that's the sad reality of um, our today's times. Please know that uh, with this conference that uh, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Yadel mentioned, uh, we are now bringing a national level quality conference to Broward County that's now incorporating physicians, the nursing industry, and the emergency medical services provided by the Fire Chiefs Association and provided by the private ambulance companies. That uh, we are at the cutting edge of pre-hospital care in this country. We have national renowned speakers and international speakers coming in right here in Broward County. And it took a lot of years to bring that together. But what does that mean? In a nutshell, uh, if you have to get sick and you can't avoid that, this, there's no better place than Broward County with the stroke prevention programs, the cardiac prevention programs, the heart transplant programs, uh, and EMS is an integral part of all of that because we have to bring these patients and stabilize them so that they can get this definitive care. And that happens through this uh, constant training that the Fire Chiefs Association brings forward to their members and through the conference and through the help of other members here. Um, 
it all makes it possible. I'd like to encourage each and every one of you to please come out uh, June 6th, 7th, or 8th to the Bonaventure uh, Country Club and Spa out in uh, Weston, I believe, right, Weston? And come see what we do, the competitions that help our uh, members become better at their skills, to see the uh, state-of-the-art presentations, and just to uh, mix up and mingle with the pre-hospital care providers. It would be uh, great to see you guys out there. So thank you once again for everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Furr. Thank you. Before we go any further, Thanks, I, I, I wanted to make sure that we uh, acknowledge and thank the uh, Deerfield Beach Middle School debate class for being here. And I wonder if they could just stand for a moment so we can all see them. How many? I don't, I'm, that's great. Okay. This is going to be a great chance for you to go ahead. You have a seat. Thanks. <laughs> this would be a great chance for you to see a uh, legislation, legislative County government. Yeah. In see the government in action. And uh, as a uh, former media, media specialist, I want to give you one quick edge as a debate class. The school board doesn't have this uh, uh, resource anymore, but our public library does, and it's called Opposing Viewpoints. And if you will go there, go to the public library, any, any issue that you want to look at, it will give you both sides, and you'll have an edge so you can win your next debate. So good luck with that one, okay? And thank you all for being here. Thank you, Vice Mayor Furr, for your brevity. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we move on, this morning is the best morning ever. This is probably one of the most special moments that you can have as mayor of Broward County, and that is to recognize the employees of Broward County that make us who we are. They are in the audience right now, and we're going to do employee recognition. Mrs. Henry, can you please join me at the podium? Thank you. So, commissioners, we have employees today celebrating 20, 25, 30, and 35 years of service. So, I'd like to begin with 20 years of service. Jamila Berry from Risk Management. John Barry, Aviation. William Herlili, uh, Jr., and William is with also Aviation.
Johnny Williams, and Johnny is with Highway and Bridge Maintenance. Brian Liesenfeld, and Brian is with Water and Wastewater Services. Javier Rodriguez, and Javier is with Facilities Maintenance. Celebrating 25 years of service, we have Roy Brown and Roy's with Transit. Okay, Melanie Laporte, she's with um, Bark. She's not here? Sorry, she could not make it. Kareen Remy and Kareen. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm here. What did I do with your. Underneath. You put it underneath. There it is. There we go. Okay, Kareen Remy, and Kareen is with Family Success.
that's you got it? Chris. Chris, come on in. <laughs> no, you're not. Get in here. Take off that. Gerard Schwartzwald and Gerard is with libraries. Mark Woodbury, Mark is with Transit. All right, commissioners, celebrating 30 years of service, we have Luis Fayas, and Luis is with Transit. Nahora Gutierrez, and Nahora is with Human Resources. Lynn Molitor and Lynn is 
I'm sorry, here, Lynn is with um, the Office of Regional Communications and Technology. Okay, Kenneth Nelson, and Kenneth is with Highway and Bridge Maintenance, 30 years. Getting everybody up.
you you can tell the team, the ERP team, that needs to let off a little bit of steam here. So we'll give them some slack. Last but not least, celebrating 35 years of service is Troy Darasaw and Troy's with Highway Bridge Maintenance. I told you that was the best part of being mayor. All right. Oh, you want to you want to adjourn? I don't think so. But I do know that we're going to move quite quickly now. So, are you ready? For public participation reminders, for those of you in the audience, please turn off or silence your cell phones. Any member of the audience who wishes to be heard on an item on the agenda, please come forward and fill out a speaker form over to my right on the dais. Once the item is called, you will not be permitted to speak. Please keep your comments brief until the subject being discussed. You will have three minutes to address the commission, and we ask that those of you in the audience respect the views of those speaking today. As such, we do not allow any applause, cheering, booing, or catcalls during and after speaker comments. If you agree, can you please exit the chambers quietly? If you agree, you can do spirit fingers. Okay, I'm going to read the Tuesday morning memo now. Consent items are items numbered 1 through 50. Public hearing items are items numbered 51 through 61. Regular items are items number 62 through 82. There are no withdrawals. There are Scrivener's errors. Item number 13. In the background summary, the sentence currently states, since the board's action last fall, BCT has actively recruited for PT-20 operators and has received 53 applications, from which 16 have been advanced. And it should state, since the board's actions last fall, BCT has actively recruited for PT-20 operators and has received 83 applicants, from which 49 have been advanced. Item number 62, um, I, I, those of you that are in the audience with us, I ask that you silence yourselves, please, so that we can conduct business. We appreciate that. Thank you. Item number 62, Exhibit 1, page 19. Please note that the evaluation criteria 2C2, um, it quotes Fitch, will be added to the rating firms listed in this section. Item number 65, Exhibit 1, Agreement Summary, Paragraph 9A, currently states 5% retainage and should state 5% contingency amount. Item number 42, 
The New River Center Plat 028-MP-90-Exhibit 1, page 3, paragraph 3, currently states the attached letter from the City of Fort Lauderdale indicates no objection to this request as approved by the City Commission on March 17, 2015. By Resolution 15-55, and it should state, the attached letter from the City of Fort Lauderdale indicates no objection to this request as approved by the City Commission on January the 18th, 2017, by Resolution number 17-17. I request without objection that item 62, 63, 64, 65, 68, 69, 71, 72, 76, 77, 78, 79, and 82 be moved to consent. There's addition. Item 62, 63, 64, 65, 68, 69, 71, 72, 76, 77, 78, 79, and 82 be moved to consent without objection. Additional material. Items 1B through 1F, board appointments. Item number 9, memo to the board submitted by the Human Services Department. Item number 21, exhibit 3 submitted by the Office of the County Attorney. Item number 63, a memo to the board submitted by the County Administration. Same as the public hearing item number 56. Item number 66, Replacement Exhibit 1 submitted by Finance and Administrative Services Department. Item number 72, a letter to the board submitted by County Administration. And items number um, 73, 74, 75, a memo to the board submitted by the Office of the County Auditor. Public hearing. Item number 56, a memo to the board submitted by the county administration is the same as regular item number 63. Item number 61, a memo to the board submitted by the county administration. That concludes the reading of the Tuesday morning memo. At this time, I'll entertain polls from the consent agenda. Commissioner Udine. None. Commissioner Rich. Uh, yes, I'd like to pull item nine uh, to announce a voting abstention. Okay. Commissioner Bogan. Item 62 and 72. Commissioner Ryan. No polls. Vice Mayor Furr. I'd like to keep 82 on regular. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Lamarca is absent today. He's at the NACO conference. Commissioner Holness. Nine. Commissioner Geller. Uh, nine. 17, 18, and 19 for abstention. County Administrator, <laughs> County Attorney, no. County Auditor. Okay, items that would be pulled from the consent agenda by the public. Mayor, if I can Item. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to tell you I pulled them for you if you'd like. Oh, okay. I was going down the list. Item 49. That's one from the from the consent agenda pulled by the public. The rest I have for questions only up to item number 50 till 56. Then I've got 56. That's on regular anyway. I've got 58. That's on regular anyway. Um, I've got 59B and 61. That's on regular anyway. 61, 61, 63. That was on go, going to go to consent. So now that's going to stay on. And then I have 74, which was on regular anyway. And I've got 75, which was on regular anyway. Okay. 
Yes, Mayor, you had 21 as well from the audience. It says for questions only. Yeah, sorry. All right. And We're good. And so I've, I've already got them. I've got 9, 17, 18, 19, 49, 62, 63, 72, and 82 that were pulled. So those are the ones that are staying on regular and some were already on regular from the audience. So can I get a motion, please? Motion to approve the consent agenda. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, let the record show that the consent agenda passes unanimously. At this time, I'm gonna take up item number nine, Commissioner Rich for abstention, right? Yes. Yes, uh, okay. Yeah. Way too long. <laughs> okay. Please exit the chambers as quietly as possible. Thank you. We just let a lot of people go. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> oh, I know. She's back. Well, I like that creativity. Uh huh. Uh huh. Can you please exit the chambers quickly and quietly? <laughs> Commissioner Rich, yes. you can go ahead. Okay. Um, I serve on the uh, Continuum of Care Board. Item 9 includes a HUD grant to the county and a contract between the county and Broward Partnership for the Homeless. In that contract, the county will retain about $12,000 for administrative costs. The county attorney's office has advised me that a federal regulation requires me to abstain from voting and to refrain from participating in the discussion of the item because the county is receiving some financial uh, benefit. I am therefore abstaining and will leave the dais until the board completes its action on this item. Thank you. Motion to approve agenda number nine. I have a second. Second. Okay. Hold on, do we have a quorum? Yes, we do. No, I'll just need her to step off. She has to just step off the dais. Okay, I had a motion and a second. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed, let the record show that passes unanimously. Commissioner Rich, you can return to the dais. The next item that was pulled from consent agenda is item 17. Um, county attorney, can I take them all at once, 17, 18, and 19? Yes. Okay. 17, 18, and 19 for abstention by Commissioner Geller, Thank please. You. I am abstaining from items 17, 18, 19, which are merely procedural in nature. They're items setting public hearings. Uh, my former law firm, Greenspoon Martyr, could benefit from action taken at the public hearing. I am still owed compensation based on my prior membership in the firm because I am abstaining to avoid the appearance of a voting conflict and not an actual conflict. I will remain on the dais for these items, but will not vote. Okay, so I have a motion for item number 17, 18, and 19. Do I have a second? second. Okay, all those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that 17, 18, and 19 passes with one abstention and one, two, three, four, five, six votes, okay? All righty. That takes care of 17, 18, and 19. We're moving on. The next item pulled from the consent agenda is going to be item number 49 was pulled by the public. Russell Rand, can you please come to the podium? I'm here for my 43-year year pin. 43. 
Um, but I've been mildly nauseous lately, so. <laughs> this is about auditing commissioner's salary and travel. Um, and I understand that the commissioner's salary is set by the legislature, so you don't have any input on it, and there's no public discussion or anything. Um, I read everything that, that I can, and um, I wanted to mention Mayor Sharif commented at the 49. ethics subcommittee of the Charter Review that audits were punitive in nature. That's just what it says. I said and, can be. Pardon? You can, don't have to quote me, but right. go ahead. I, I'll correct We're, it. That the, an audit's not punitive. It's just the cash flow and where the money went, and it's how it's used. It could collect dust on a shelf, or um, it could lead to uh, prosecution and all, or some kind of uh, scandal and all. Um, a lot of the public think the commissioners are paid very handsomely, and um, I don't mind, but I just want you to uphold your oath of office in the process, and that's to follow laws and policies, including county ordinances, admin codes, and charter. And um, I think we're going to talk more about audits later, so that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Motion Thank you. Second. Great. For the record, I said can be punitive in nature. All right. So I had a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Where would, which Please show me voting uh, in the affirmative on all the previous items. Okay. Got it? Okay. Perfect. Okay. The next item... Off of the consent, uh, wait, wait, I gotta make sure, because we moved. Okay, next item on public hearing is item number 51. That's a motion to adopt a resolution of Border County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, granting a, a non-exclusive franchise to Lank Oil Company. I do not have any public uh, speakers, audience speakers signed up on this item. As such, it's a public hearing item. It is open to the public. Is there anyone from the public that wishes to be heard on item number 51? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to the stays for motion. So moved. Second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that item 51 passes unanimously. Item number 52 is a motion to adopt a resolution to transmit a proposed amendment to the Broward County Land Use Plan, map PC 17-8. I have um, in the city of Plantation. Um, I did have one speaker, but that was for questions only. Is there anyone else from the audience that wishes to be heard on item number 52? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to the stage for a motion. Second. Can I just comment quickly on it? Sure. Because I served on the planning council and I, Mr. Laystrom is here. The reason that he was here for questions is they did a $250 per building permit uh, for affordable housing. They're coming back because I had asked them, I want them to front load more of that so we get all the affordable housing money closer to the beginning rather than on a per permit basis more towards site plan. They've agreed to that and that's going to be incorporated into this. So with that, I'll approve the motion as well. Okay, so I had a motion and a second. All those in favor of item 52 signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Item number 53 is a motion to enact 
an ordinance adopting a small-scale land use plan amendment to the Broward County Land Use Plan, PC 17-9, in the city of Pembroke Pines. I only have one speaker signed up for questions only. That was Mr. Mealy. Um, is there anyone from the audience who wishes to be heard on item number 53? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed on the item. Back motion to this to dais. Approve, yes. Uh, same abstention motion I've made in the past. Does he need to read it again? The vote on this item could benefit Green Spoon Martyr, so to avoid even the appearance of a voting conflict, I'm abstaining on item 53. I will remain on the dais for this vote because it is only an apparent <laughs> conflict. Thank you. Okay, so we had a motion and a second on the item. We have one abstention noted by the minute secretary. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes seven with one abstention. Okay, the next item on the public hearing is item number 54. And I have an audience person for questions only. That's Bill Lagstrom. So item 54 is a motion to enact an ordinance adopting a small-scale land use plan amendment to the Broward County Land Use Plan, PC 17-10, in the town of Davie um, in the Broward County Comprehensive Plan. So is there anyone from the audience who wishes to be heard on this item? Seeing none, back to the stairs for a motion. So moved. Okay. So I have a motion and a second on item number 54. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that item 54 passes unanimously. The next item on the public hearing is item number 55, a motion to consider enactment of an ordinance that pertains to the Broward County Zoning Code, creating section 39-47 of the Broward County Code and Ordinances, code establishing procedure for the administrative adjustment of the regulations, amending section 39-75 through 39-95, establishing landscaping requirements for the Municipal Services District. I have no audience participation cards, so as such, it's a public hearing item. It's open to the public. Anyone from the public wishes to be heard on item number 55? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. I have a motion and a second on item 55. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously. Item number 56 is a motion to consider enactment of an ordinance, the title of which is as follows, an ordinance of Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, establishing a future conditions average wet season groundwater elevation map, amending sections 27-192 and 27-200 of the Broward County Code of Ordinances. So I have one speaker signed up on item number, you need to stop messing with my cards. Thank you. All right. I have three speakers signed up on item number 56. I have Patrick Davis followed by Russell Rand followed by Albert Carbon. Can Russell Rand please come to the podium? Doesn't matter, you can go. And you have two minutes to address the item. Please start now. Curiously, I told you previously that I should reapply, you agreed with Jennifer, Dr. Herardo, I should reapply to be rehired. And my, my very same budget position number was open, and it opened and closed. When you get old, you can't do things quick enough, so it's, it's gone again. Huh. I just wanted to, uh, for informational purposes, because groundwater we've been kind of studying for years and years and years, and this thing in particular, you know, you're trying to get into micro, micrometers of where the elevation is, and it's a very fluid, fluid system based on whether we have wet seasons or dry seasons, uh, drought or 
too much rain, too much water. And then in the future, if you ever get the C-51 reservoir going, it's going to be not in my lifetime probably, uh, you're going to jam some more water west of here and all. So my point being, and it depends on the drawdown, the more people you hear, the more buildings you're putting up, the more the drawdown is in certain areas for the water going into the production wells. My point being, this is a very fluid situation. And it's not easily measurable, and I don't know how you're going to come up with what is an average wet season elevation. And if you think about it, because all the development is going to be based on whatever that wet season elevation is, and you have to build a certain al altitude, unless you're the city and screw up four inches or whatever and get it backdoored into the process and all. Um, so that's going to affect all your building things and all. Um, when, um, when there is a disaster, of course, your groundwater elevation is going to shoot up real fast. So water seeks the lowest level, and in a t storm surge, all the water in Bri Briar County rises. So a lot of these micro-calculations might necessarily be relevant in those times. Okay, the next speaker is Patrick A. Davis. Is Mr. Davis? Albert Carbon. I'll go first. You'll go, you'll, you're Albert yeah. yes. Carbon. Yes. Okay. Albert Carbon, Public Works Director for the City of Oakland Park. Okay. Uh, to ensure the resiliency of our current and future uh, infrastructure investments, we want to say that Oakland Park supports the establishment of the future good condition average wet season groundwater elevation map. Thank you, Commission. Thank you. Mr. Patrick Davis. Good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Patrick Davis. I'm a design engineer with the firm of Hazen and Sawyer. Um, been designing infrastructure in Broward County for 38 years. And I wanted to compliment the commission, and I wanted to compliment uh, Mrs. Henry and staff, Dr. Gerardo and all of her staff, for bringing this new tool to the design industry to help ensure that as we design things going forward, we do it with resiliency in mind and with the ability to adapt to future climate change conditions. So this is really important, and I'm glad you guys are hopefully going to support this. So thank you very much. Thank you. That concludes the audience participation on item number 56. Back to this dais. Can I have a motion? All those in favor of item 56 signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. I just want to say nice job by staff on this. Great. Very good job. Yes. Item number 57 is a motion to consider enactment of an ordinance, the title of which is as follows. An ordinance of Board of County permission pertaining to the wastewater discharge standards, modifying and aiding definitions and modifying requirements. There are no audience participation signed up for this, but this is a public hearing. Is there anyone from the audience who wishes to be heard on this item? Seeing none, back to the stairs for a motion. So moved. All those in favor of item 57 signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show 57 passes unanimously. Item number 58, I have one speaker signed up from the audience, Mr. Ran. Could you please come forward? Employee ethics. Uh, in customer service training, we learned that our customer, customers aren't just the public out there. They're our coworkers and all. And likewise, this bill is crafted toward outside lobbyists and whatnot. But internally, people are lobbying all the time. And I'm uh, mildly nauseous again uh, that the person who masterminded my extermination has been placed in charge of the courthouse air quality 
investigation. Even worse, the person in charge who received the $25,000 bonus uh, is an ethics counsel for the Charter Commission. Fifteen years ago, I stood here and said there was no whistleblower protection. There is no accountability. That leads to no ethics in Broward County government. And as long as the people who perpetrated things are still in places of high power and authority, paid millions of dollars, uh, that leaves the taxpayers on the short end of the, of the deal. And they're not going to raise their own taxes to build roads with monies that went into the courthouse or any other thing. Um, so it's very important that county employees serve with honesty and integrity. And I do, and that's why I'm standing here. Thank you. Back to this day as per motion, please. Second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, let the record show item number 58 passes unanimously. Item number 59 is a motion to adopt the resolution of Broad County Commissioners of Broad County, Florida, pertaining to paratransit services amending part one, section 24.1 of the Broad County Administrative Code. Part B is a motion to, res of a resolution, to adopt a resolution of the Broad County Board of County Commissioners of Broad County, Florida, pertaining to the paratransit fare structure amending section 41.04 of the Broad County Administrative Code. I have... Um, Elaine Turner signed up for 59B, so I'm going to go ahead and have her come up, please. You're the only speaker on this item. Welcome, Elaine. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm here uh, representing Abbott. I'm the transportation chair for the board, and I just wanted to say that I, we support the authorization of uh, this ordinance because it serves it serves the public and it allows people to have same-day service who need it and it's that that's an urgent need because usually you have to call 24 hours in advance so now if people need an urgent ride they can call for same-day service and they're allowed $15 toward the fare so thank you thank you for coming appreciate you okay with that, that concludes our audience participation. Um, back to this dais, Move the Commissioner item. Ryan. I wanted to just briefly comment that uh, this is a pilot project for paratransit and, and offering the availability of utilizing Uber or Lyft um, in order to facilitate rides at a lower cost uh, for persons with disabilities and uh, persons that are income constrained. Um, I think that this is uh, really an opportunity for us to look in a much larger sense at whether or not uh, this can be expanded um, to facilitate persons uh, that are using public transit to make it easier and to try to um, drive up ridership. And um, it's always important for everyone that we can get into public transit. That'll be one less vehicle on the road. I had a motion and a second on item number 59. All but, in favor? But, it, but if I may, uh, Commissioner Ryan said Uber and Lyft. Uh, I think it's taxi uh, I just wanted to make sure that was, was correct. Sure I just want to make sure that was corrected. Uh, yes. Okay, so I have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that item number 59 passes unanimously. The next item on our public hearing agenda is item number 60.
It's a motion to adopt a resolution of the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, pertaining to the Broward County Cultural Council Incentives Grants. There are no audience speakers on this item. This is a public hearing. It is now open to the public. Is there anyone wishing to be heard on item number 60? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Back to this day's okay. promotion. Move the item. Second. Mayor. Before. Yes, Commissioner Geller. I just want to say I think that this is a great program, long overdue, and I want to graduate Mr. Bosworth, and I'm done. Thank you. I have a motion and a second. All in favor of item 60, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously. Item number 61 is a motion to consider the enactment of an ordinance, the title of which is follows, an ordinance of the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, pertaining to motor carriers amending sections 21.5-3 and 21.5-4 of the Broward County Code of Ordinances Code, establishing a process for 50 certificates of public convenience and necessity and accompanying taxicab permits for wheelchair-accessible vehicles and 50 associated bonus regular taxicab certificates to be used, issued outside the current ratio provided in section 22.5-4 per NB. Establishing a one-time driver-only lottery for 15 certificates of public convenience and necessity and accompanying taxicab permits, providing for a process for issuing these certificates, providing eligibility criteria for these certificates, and providing for severability, inclusion in the code, and an effective date. At this point in time, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13. I've got 13 speakers on item number 61. Each of you will have two minutes to address the board. Keep in mind, you do not have to use the whole two minutes. If you are saying the same thing, just say that I'm in, in, in uh, agreement and we can keep it moving. Elaine Turner is signed up twice. So that takes us down to 12. Uh, Ms. Turner, could you please come to the to the dais, to the podium. Thank you. Hi. Hi again. I'm representing Abbott, and I just wanted to say we support the increase in wheelchair accessible vehicles because it serves Broward County residents that really require it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Turner, for your brevity. The next person is Jaro Villanueva, followed by Charles Elsesser. Elsesser, I think. Can you all start coming to the front so we can keep it keep it going? Ronald Miller, Pierre E. Laplancher, Josh DeHoy Toby. If you all could take the front row here so that we can call you up quickly. Thank you. I hope I didn't mess up your name too much. You can say it though. Not the first time, but it's all right. It's okay? It's okay. All right. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, commissioners, uh, I'm here on behalf of Yellow Cab and uh, as general counsel. And we are adamantly very apprehensive about adding more certificates. Uh, clearly, there's a formula that should be followed. Uh, there are 15 certificates that would be allowed. And we do want drivers to go ahead and, and have those. Um, but let me back up a little bit. There's a reason for that, and the reason is uh, there's an oversupply at this time of not only taxi cabs but of TNCs out there. It is clearly evident if you go to the hold yard, if you go to the airport, if you go to Snyder Park, that you see an abundance of vehicles just sitting around waiting. In fact, we 
had to take down from 500 vehicles to 450 vehicles, some of the certificates were just given back to us, and, and there just isn't the, the need for it. There's an oversupply. There's a bit of a glut at this point. And as a direct result of that, we're having some of the owner-drivers um, sort of not take care of their vehicles, and, and it, it smirches a little bit somewhat the, uh, the quality of the product that's out there. Um, and, you know, we, we just want to be a bit apprehensive about how we go ahead and, and address this, I guess, market correction, for lack of a better term. Um, so at this point, we definitely would like to go ahead and just keep it as is, not have the 50 certificates uh, on both ends, just because of the glut. And I want you to keep in mind that we would never stand in the way of somebody trying to make a living. But when there is uh, too much supply, not enough demand, it sort of has the same detrimental effect of, you know, taking bread away from somebody. So that's all I've got. Thank you for your time. Questions? Yeah, question. Okay, give me one second. Let me make a cue. Well, actually, we can't take questions now. Let, can we get through the speakers first, and then we'll come back to this um, dais? Whatever you'd like, madam. I, I have, like, um, another 11 persons behind Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank Appreciate you. Um, Mr. Charles L. Sasser, I hope I said that right, followed you, by Mayor. Ronald Muller. Thank you, Ms. Mayor. Um, my name is Charles L. Sasser. I'm an attorney in, uh, for Lauderdale, but my office is the Community Justice Project in Miami, and there... I've spent a lot of time working with taxi drivers in Miami with New Visions uh, Taxi Drivers Association and watched as their lives had been incredibly disrupted by the technology and these hardworking men and women that have spent their lives on a particular and investments on a particular structure and then seen that completely turned on its head and are struggling to figure out what to do. I think I think the addition of driver-owned certificates is a step in the right direction to give them, to start to begin to give them more control over their lives. So I would urge you to, to, um, to pass this and with, with Commissioner Holness's uh, amendment. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker, Ronald Muller, followed by Pierre Alaplancha. Good morning, Mayor, Commissioners. My name is Ronald Mueller. And I've been driving a cab in Broward County for the last 30 years. I need and you to stay at the mic. Your, okay. your voice is coming in and out. Oh, okay. Thank, Thank you. you. I've been driving a cab for 30 years in Broward County. And um, I think it's about, I've seen commissioners come and go. And I think it's about time they issued us permits, mostly the drivers that have been serving this county for quite a while. It seems like Yellow Cab has been trying to block us from getting these permits for the longest. And somehow, they always get their ways. And uh, it's up to your guys right now. Right now, we have to pay over 500 and some dollars per week to drive a cab, and we cannot afford to do that. We need permits so we can compete with Uber. Uber has taken 75% of our businesses. We, have, we are struggling to survive, most of these drivers, and we've been at this for over. Some of these guys here have been 30, 25 years, and I hope you guys take it in consideration. To, it's about time. And about the 50, uh, what they call the wheelchair permits, we cannot afford to buy a wheelchair cab. You know how much it costs for a wheelchair car? We can't afford that. We need regular permits so we can work at the airport and make a decent living. We cannot hold on anymore. I mean, right now, I have to cut my days down. I cannot afford to pay a company 600 bucks a week where I can even make it. We, most of these drivers drive 18 hours a day. 
Okay, please, you guys can help them. And I think it's time you'll be stand right now. Look how easy you'll just pass that Uber thing. Everybody high, straight up. For them. I hope you'll do the same thing for us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Pierre LaPrancha, followed by Josh DeHoy Toby. I want to thank the commissioner today to allow us to speak on our behalf. Um, my name is Pierre Plancher. I've been driving uh, taxi for about seven years. Seven years, lot we come, lot we go, waste my money. Not only getting abused by those companies, especially Yellow Cab, but waste my money uh, to obtain a permit I never can. Um, though government supposed to provide and facilitate a condition for people who want to do business, be able to do their business. Uh, all we ask is a permit to allow us to work. And the whole thing about Hoover, if I have a permit, the money I'm giving to those big companies, for example, I used to drive for broad taxi, I used to give them over $800 a week, way more than my mortgage. I would rather give that money to the customers. Put the taxi price down as long as you give me a legitimate permit that I can work in broad. And for people who oppose the driver, why are we so scared of? You're scared of competition? Um, how, how do you know the next Uber, the next person who's going to come with something better than Uber is not between us? If I have a permit, I have plans. I have, I have a good, steady business plan that I can compete with Uber. All I ask is, please, folks, I know you're working hard, and so far you're moving in the right direction. All we want is just allow us to have a piece of the American dream. And, and yes, I did my share. I worked a lot, um, uh, carry luggage for people upstairs for many years, and I worked well for the company. I make those big companies a lot of money. But it's about time for me to start something in my own. And like almost all the drivers, that's the, the way they feel too. If you were doing something for 30 years, like it's, it's almost like if you work in a restaurant for 30 years, you got the skill and you got the know-how. You will want to open your own restaurant one day. Maybe leave it for your children. Maybe your children might feel special one day. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> All right. Next person, Mr. Josh Dehoy Toby, followed by Remy Marcel, followed by Encinio Jean. Good morning. Good morning. I hope um, I said your name right. Yes. Okay. I'm like um, 60 years old, and I've been driving for a yellow cab since... May 1984, and I've been playing the lottery from get-go until today, never went anything, and I have six kids. Even right now, I'm working. I have not, I even have a dime on my bank or for to support my kids and everything. So doing all this for the city of Fort Lauderdale, what I have, what do I have back? Nothing. So. I hope that um, you guys can con uh, consider and give something to the old drivers and help us out. That's all I need to say. Thank, Thank you. you. Mr. Remy Marcel, followed by Encinio Jean. Good morning, uh, Commissioners. Good morning. Um, Thank you for allowing us, uh, me to, to speak. Uh, one thing we need to talk about today is not only to give this permit to the drivers, if we're talking about, we could be here with more than 1,000 drivers, but since the drivers have still have to carry the responsibility to serve the airport and serve everywhere, so all drivers cannot be here. But one thing they all want to hear, you guys hear from them, they do not want restriction on those permits. The wheelchairs gonna cost us so much money. 
He got cost about $40,000 for one car. How come you could say he cannot work at the airport? He cannot work at the poor? What is American become, America become right now? I always dream and I always heard America is a land of the opportunity, which is everybody could do, could do well. But if now we are the taxi drivers, the other companies, they already buy doors, which I talked to you to your before about that. The big companies, they buy doors from the hotel restaurant, which is order taxi cannot be worked there. But now the government say you cannot work at the airport at the port. What is that? So therefore, you say, I want to give you the opportunity without opportunity. If the private company already take all the doors, all the other a big restaurants, big hotels, and now the county want to put restriction on those permits they want to put out, it say you cannot work on the place of the government? Oh my gosh, I, I, I do not understand that. Please, if you could, guys, Make me understand the government said you cannot work on my place. So the government is not for people anymore. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Antonio Jean, followed by Diego A. Castaneda. Uh, good morning, Commissioners. My name is Antonio Jean. Uh, thank you for consideration to allow the drivers to own their own permits. Due to the decline of the revenue from the taxi industries and lack of uh, mismanagement from uh, the big, from the huge companies. Um, we are facing a, a tremendous problem with the taxi companies. At this moment, we, are, we have a list of permits they kind of want to put out there for the taxi drivers. Those permits, uh, they cannot work at the airport, the seaport, and we're going to have to pay at least Thirty-five to forty thousand dollars for the vehicles, and we have a limitation and restriction to work at at a uh, broad county. So, help us out, take the limitation out for us. That's the only way we can make a living. Thank you. Thank you. For the kids that are sitting in the audience from the debate team, I need you to pay attention because this is the side of debate that you want to gather information on. And once it comes back to the dais, we're going to start asking questions, which you should be asking yourself during your debate process so that you can win your argument. Because we have two very different arguments here on the floor today. So listen up. We're going to continue. This is the part of public participation. This is where we learn about other people's opinions and views. Antoine Jean Simmons, followed by... Ooh. Odeval, Deza. Nothing is Diego. That's you? Yeah, okay. That's me. Good morning, commissioners. Uh, my name is Diego Castaneda. Be a cab driver for a little while, quite a bit. I'm just going to make a, uh, two comments here. It most, I support the idea for my two cab driver friends here. They must to remove the restriction in the wheelchair permits. It's not going to work. It's going to be a big, big mess at the port and the airport because who's going to enforce that? It's going to be a big trouble there. Fines for everybody is not right. We're looking to cut it down expensive and just save some money in our pocket. With the idea with the um, memorandum for the recommendation, 
Ms. Berta, that's the great idea. She brings us last meeting, May 2, with the um, 65 taxi cab certificate being made available for the long-term drivers greater than 10 years experience. That's the best idea, and I have 400 guys signing here in the lease, ready to go, with no restrictions, and ready to work everywhere you guys want to work. We already have a plan to have a stance out west, southwest, Cooper City, okay. and the other cities way far, uh, far away for I-75. So uh, long-term cab drivers waiting for that decision. I don't know what happened with this memorandum here. Disappeared. And it's been about only two weeks or with those 65 uh, certificate, Miss Berta bring it to us. So I just want to consider this part here. All concentrate in the wheelchair and seems like a yellow car won't stop, uh, keeping the stoppers and the companies for the car driver do not have a permit. I don't know why, but they already lose control. The monopoly is gone. Let us drive. Let us be a fair with all of us here. We've been suffering here with the money. The prices they have, the companies, is too higher. Nobody can afford it. So let us have a, a small piece of cake, and we're going to be happy. Don't bother you guys no more. Don't, I mean, yeah, that's it. Just help thank us with you. the remove that restriction. Thank you. Caroline, thank you, commissioners. All right. The next person, Odinel Desamor. And the last person to speak is Benny Oliver. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I so enjoyed to see you this morning so far. <laughs> I tried to apply for a taxi driver because I've been driving the taxi for 20 plus years in Broward County. It's my pleasure today to be acquired. So very satisfied about, about that so far. If you could do something for me, I would be more than happy. I'm so sorry about that, but thank you, Eninga. Thank you. Our next speaker is Mr. N. Benny Oliver. Yes. Hi, how y'all doing today? Hi. Um, I want to speak on behalf of the, the, the fact that we need more yellow cabs on the road. You know, I'm involved with the Spinal Cord Injury Support Group, and we have a bunch of guys who are disabled. And anytime we are trying to go anywhere, um, 8 o'clock and later, you make a call, there's no yellow cab. Oh, there is no way. There is no way for us to get to and from if it's not on the city bus. And the, the, the schedule of the bus is the hours are, are, are extended so far apart that you really cannot get anywhere. So I want to push the commissioner to extend so we can have more yellow cabs and the road for the people who really needs it. Thank you. We appreciate you coming out and expressing yourself today. That concludes our audience participation on item number 61. Back to this dais, do I have anyone that would like to speak on item number 61? Commissioner Geller, Commissioner Holness? Madam Mayor, procedurally, I have questions. For, are you going to take questions first? I'm taking anything that you want. Okay. You're the first one in queue. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, if I could ask the attorney for yellow cabs to return to the podium. 
Thanks, sir. I'll, I'll be very brief in, in the questioning. First, Thank you, um, I was trying to clarify whether or not you guys were opposing both the, uh, there's two separate issues here. There's the 15 new permits and there's the 50 plus 50. Um, and I'm trying to figure out if you're opposing one, both, if you're opposing just one, which one is it? I want to remind you, you guys are the ones that instituted that 50-50 because you came to us talking about problems with handicapped, and that's why I jumped all over this, because I was concerned about the availability of handicapped, uh, van, uh, handicapped taxis. So can you okay. answer Excuse that me, question? Commissioner Geller, I just want to make sure the record, you said 15, I believe the amendment from Commissioner Holness is 25, not yes, 15. Yes, but I, I was talking about the, uh, the, it is a proposed amendment I'm talking, amendment I'm talking about the actual ordinance that we're on now before we get to the amendment. So, sir, can you answer, please? Sure, Commissioner, and I think that uh, Mr. Camillo has said mea culpa on multiple occasions at this point um, because uh, there was a miscalculation, and I, I don't know if he would admit it, but I'll admit it for him, all right? Okay. So um, are you opposing one or both I, parts? Long story short, Commissioner, I, we're not opposing either. We just want to follow the formula uh, just because of the circumstances. They have changed significantly, um, and, and that's the reason why we are where we are. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're necessarily opposing. I just think the formula should be followed, and the 15 uh, certificates of convenience should be uh, given to the drivers. That's where we are. Okay, that was my only question. Now, I'm now for this gentleman. Thank you, sir. Um, I have a question for staff, then I have comments. Um, question of staff. Um, if we did follow the existing formula, we're not doing the 15 arbitrarily or the 25, the commissioner onus, would there be new permits, if you take out the wheelchair part, would there be new permits given? And if so, how many? Mr. Halsey, if you can come to the podium. Jeff Halsey, Director of Environmental and Consumer Protection. Under the current ratios, there would be no new uh, wheelchair accessible vehicles for this year. And what about the regular permits? Uh, 15 and uh, nine luxury sedan, I believe. Okay, so 15 is the number that uh, would be given if we weren't doing anything special, there'd be 15 new permits anyhow, and the only difference here is that we're giving these all to the drivers. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Nine luxury sedans. Nine luxury sedans, right. Okay, thank you, sir. All right, uh, Madam Mayor, a few comments if I may. Sure. Okay. Um, I, I've been listening to the debate, and it's a, a difficult issue here. I agree with the drivers about all of the complaints that they have. The concern that I have is that the TNCs, Uber, Lyft, have taken a vast amount of the taxi business away. And that's placed the cab drivers in a very difficult situation. My concern is adding more permits is diluting the just adding increased competition for a shrinking amount of business meaning that i think everybody will be it will help the 15 people but hurt the number the general pool because there will be more people pursuing a shrinking uh, number each year of of cab trips 
I certainly have no problem with saying that all of the new permits should be going directly to the drivers. I think that that's a reasonable thing to say. I don't know what the cab companies think about this. I think that a lot of the the permits will end up going with the cab the the cab companies anyhow because of the insurance and dispatch. But hopefully you'll be paying a lower rate. So I have no problem with saying that all of them should be going to the drivers. My concern is: is it really helpful? to put more permits out there when I think that that's going to mean that you're just going to have longer and longer waits at the airport because when I've been listening when I've been listening carefully I've heard most people say they want to go to the airport which means instead of having a I'm making this up a two and a half hour wait there'll be a two and three quarter hour wait so uh, I'm going to listen to the rest of the debate I do have, uh, I think everything should go to the, the new permit should go to the drivers. I, if that's what the permit, if that's what the, uh, the number, the formula says, we should be giving 15 new ones. I guess I'm okay with following the formula, but uh, I am very concerned about the dilution that will occur. Uh, I do think that the TNCs are really the problem facing the cab drivers. Thank you, Commissioner Thank you. Geller. All right. Commissioner Holness, you're next in queue, followed by Commissioner Udeen. Thank you. Uh, County Administrator, would you please recap for us how we got to where we're at in these 50 cabs? What, what caused us to, to get to this action? So, Commissioners, as you recalled, we received notification from our, our largest uh, cab provider who expressed some concerns um, regarding um, what's been happening um, um, in the industry in total with respect to TNCs, and that um, in the past they were able to assure that there were sufficient wheelchair accessible vehicles by subsidizing the drivers that worked for them or that were part of their program, um, that they um, indicated that they would no longer have the ability to do that and staff reacted to the potential shortfall in wheelchair accessible vehicles by indicating that we needed to do something um, pretty quickly to make sure that there were additional um, vehicles uh, available for the community. Okay, uh, and, and prior to that, we had a debate here on Uber and Lyft. That's 11 days. And uh, the way it stands now, the free market uh, idea that Uber and Lyft and other TNCs can operate with no regulations practically. We still are regulating the cabs uh, in terms of determining how many cabs can be on a road, what they can charge, how many passengers they can have uh, going to one or, or more de destination, and the fact that they can't charge more than a dollar per person, even if they had four or five people in the car. Uh, and if they're going multiple destinations, we don't allow, allow for that, whereas TNCs are able to do that. So we, we basically also require by state law that they have insurance coverage 24-7. That's not required of TNCs. So there's a huge disadvantage in the marketplace vis-a-vis uh, -vis cabs and TNCs. So the cab company starts off at a, at a disadvantage, especially with insurance, where they have to pay somewhere between five and $7,000 annually 
for insurance. TNC probably are down to probably two, three hundred dollars because only when a passenger is in the car do they have to charge for it. So that's a huge issue that I think we face. Now, do we deregulate? Do we allow the free market to, 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 to determine what happens, who survives and who doesn't? Uh, some make the argument for it, some not, depending on what side you're on. Uh, but throughout this whole process, what we've been hearing time and time again from the drivers is that they would like to see some additional vehicles. We actually did some research to show how we compare to Palm Beach, to uh, Miami, and to other cities. And we find out we are on the low end, very low end, in terms of the number of cabs that we have uh, as it relates to our population. Drivers wanted 400 more vehicles. I agree with uh, Yellow Cab that the market has changed. I agree that there's a diminishing amount of passengers available uh, in the marketplace. Uh, that is correct. Uh, but at the same time, we have people who have been uh, working in this industry for many, many years, and they're asking for a chance uh, to, to, to be given an opportunity so that they can grow and develop their own business and their own, uh, and help their own life uh, to grow and better and take care of their children and their families. So in light of that, we are at 50 vehicles with an accompanying 50 vehicles to offset the extra cost for putting wheelchair vehicles on the road. We hear from uh, Benny uh, in the wheelchair just recently that it's difficult for them to get wheelchair vehicles. TNC are not required to have any handicapped vehicles in their, in their fleet. They're not. They made the argument when we adopted uh, or, or new regulations to allow them to operate that they ought to be paying towards that. It's only fair. And that's not done. And at this point in time with where the state legislation is going, I don't know that we'll ever be able to. Uh, because we need to make sure all the people are productive, including those that are handicapped and, and be given mobility. It's an, uh, very important uh, for them to be able to move about and live a full life and be productive. My amendment takes what we had in front of us where we had uh, staff came up with 65 vehicles to be added, plus the 15. Uh, I add merely 10 to the 15 that is required. Uh, and uh, we all agreed previously that these vehicles ought to be given to the, the drivers. So I, I ask that you consider all of these items and, and, and give the, empower the drivers. Give them a break. Let them have these 25 new taxes and 150 uh, wheelchair accessible vehicles with the uh, additional bonus vehicles so that they can afford to do this. You heard the cost of, of, of these vehicles. And, and, and I also added in that we go to five years. And here's the reason why I said five years. Many of these drivers are not gonna have the money to buy one of these $40,000 vehicles. At the 10-year year threshold, you, get, you, you have a diminishing number. If you go to five years, you get a larger pool. 
and, 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 and in my conversation, some of them are going to have to join together in order to get these vehicles. Now, I have one clarification I, I want to get to in terms of what is written here in the... document that we have on page uh, four A at the top it says the requirements for the 2017 one-time application period for wheelchair accessible certificates and permits are as follows and it goes on to enumerate uh, several items uh, one item that is here because I, I want to make sure we are clear. Taxi cabs operating under these certificates shall not station in the holding lots of our taxi cab lines waiting to pick up passengers at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport or Port Everglades. So we're restricting those wheelchair accessible vehicles. Now I want to make sure that we're clear that it's just the accessible vehicles and not the bonus vehicles uh, because the bonus vehicles are there to ensure that these guys can make some uh, additional funds. You hear the drivers not wanting to even have the wheelchair accessible vehicles Is be restricted. Is that a question for the attorney? That's a, that's a, that's a question. I, I okay. think we ought to clear that because they... County attorney. The drivers are under the, uh, the, the, the idea that when they spoke to staff, uh, those 50 bonus vehicles were not going to be restricted. The language Holmes. is not clear enough here. And I, if it's not then we need to make sure that it's clear that those 50 bonus vehicles are not included in the restrictions. Okay, so I'm gonna call time right now. I'm gonna get your question answered by the county attorney, but commissioners, please, I've already read the entire um, ordinance that we're considering. Please do not restate the entire ordinance when you're speaking. It is now 1137. I have five more items on this agenda that's gonna take considerable time. I'm asking you to be brief in your comments, be direct in your questions. We have discussed this item three times already. You're saying the same things over and over again. Let's be brief and direct in our comments. County attorney, I know I'm trying really hard. I keep giving them the signal, but they don't stop. County attorney, I, I, I'm doing it. I'm doing the best I can, yes. No, no. County attorney. The additional bonus wheelchair accessible vehicles and the market rate bonus vehicles that go with them will be restricted um, from the airport. They will not be able to go to the airport. Why? Okay. So is there a way to, to fix that? Is there a way to fix that in the ordinance? Sure. Okay. So we need an amendment to the ordinance to state that the non-handicap accessible vehicles will not be restricted from picking up at the airport. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we'll work with the words before you take a vote on this so that we'll have the actual verbiage before you. Okay. Thank you. So that's fine. All right. So that's it. We're done. Commissioner Udeen, followed by Commissioner Bogan. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I've learned a lot about this issue over the past six months serving up here because I knew very little when I started. Um, and I've actually spent a great deal of time over the last few weeks at the airport. I went to the holding lot and watched the three-hour lines, and I sat by the arrivals for a couple hours to just watch some of the cabs coming through and some of the TNCs coming through. So to my friends here from the sixth grade in Deerfield Beach, this is more than a debate issue. This is more of a life issue. 
because what, what you're seeing here is what's happening in society with disruptors. And this app came out and this app was a disruptor. And no matter what we do up here, the, this industry has been disrupted and it's happening to multiple in, industries, many that you can think of. I mean, almost any industry you can think of, technology is coming and disrupting it. And that's what's happened here. So my ultimate goal as a, as a county commissioner is to make sure that the traveling public and the people in Broward County can get from point A to point B cheaply and efficiently and with little inconvenience. And that's happening right now. They're able to do that through either a taxi or TNC or Uber or Lyft or whatever. So that part of the goal, we've done a good thing by expanding options and the app has disrupted the industry. My second goal as I'm sitting here is for these drivers to get some relief. Um, unfortunately, I don't care how we vote up here. I think that it's, it's a, the odds are severely stacked against them and there's nothing that we're gonna do up here that's gonna help them. Like I said, the, 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 we, the airport holding lot, I was there last Thursday, it's a three hour wait to sit there. So you pull in there, you wait three hours before you get a, get a fare on, on off time. I mean, it's just impossible to make a living. Second thing is for the traveling public, when you sit at the arrivals terminal and you watch the cabs come by, I'll just say it like it is. If the vehicle doesn't have 777 on the side, is a good shot that that vehicle is not in great shape. And if there was somebody that was doing an inspection of those vehicles, a lot of these vehicles really need to be brought up to a different level to make them, uh, make them in compliance with what the traveling public would want to see. And if any taxi cab doesn't look well, doesn't look right, all of them get lumped in the same, in the same, br in the same brush. So my thoughts on this are, I don't think there needs to be any more permits. I think any permits that we give is just going to cause a quicker uh, uh, disintegration here. But I, I would support if there are more that it's not a die on the sword type of issue for me because I'm not sure if I'm right. But what I would like to say is whatever permits are given, they go all to the drivers. Um, yeah, it's the only way I can see to at least giving them a chance. And I want to give the drivers the chance to have some competition. So I'll support your, uh, your, addition, your addendum. I'd like the bonus ones to be able to go into the airport, although I don't really think that there is a huge necessity or need. Um, I think that Yellow Cab... And I think that they would probably admit if they came up to the podium, they sent a letter to the county administrator a few months ago, opened up this hornet's nest that they never needed to open up because as a result of this business disintegrating, the wheelchair rides, they don't need to subsidize them anymore because people have to do it anyway. That's how they're getting a fare. So, I mean, I think that they started an issue that we can't really unwind from. I'll support Commissioner Holness as far as giving them to the drivers, I, I hope that it helps them. I doubt that it, in the long run it will. And for my friends in Deerfield, pay attention to this because disruptor is gonna be an important uh, word for you to understand as you move on in life. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Rich. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I just wanna um, really say that I think Commissioner Holness articulated uh, the way I feel about this. And I think uh, really for me, this is all about a lack of fairness, a lack of equity in the system. Some we had control over, some we didn't. 
I was not on the commission when the uh, TNCs were given the authority to do what they're doing in Broward County. Um, but Excuse me, Commissioner Rich, can I give one second? Yes. I just want to thank the Deerfield debate team for being here. I know that they have to go now. And so um, we want to say, um, as you exit, thank you for participating and thank you for being so interested to come here. You have a great day now, guys. Can, can we break and give them a, a round of applause? Sorry, Commissioner Rich, I didn't want okay. you to be interrupted right. with the noise. Um, we have, you know, to me, this the whole situation is, a, is one of unfairness. The legislature mm -hmm. has exacerbated the unfairness. Uh, you know, I look at the only thing I think the Commissioner Holness didn't mention was that the background screenings, which have bothered me since the day this, uh, this county commission, when they approved the TNCs, allowed uh, the TNCs not to have the, uh, the background checks similar to the cabs. So um, I, I, support, I support this, but saying that, knowing that we really don't know what we're voting on because we don't have the information. Uh, I think that there needs to be, uh, as I said, I'm, go I'm going to support this today, and I support certainly them being able to go to the airport. If they want to sit there for two hours and 45 minutes, you know, they can do it with the other cab drivers. But uh, I think we need to review the whole formula um, before we do anything else again uh, with this, because this, this will not go away because, as Commissioner Udine said, uh, you know, the whole, the whole business model has changed, and um, so we're, we're, we're going to have people coming back, and there will be, you know, many others that will want to have permits. And I think we need to know, you know, what is out there, what we're doing before we um, uh, add any, subtract any, and uh, so, as I said, I think it's, it, for me, it's, um, we should not be doing it in a piecemeal way without knowing uh, the impact that it has on each aspect of, uh, of uh, the um, public uh, convenience market. And um, so, uh, as I said, I will, but, I, but again, for me, the whole thing boils down to the fact that it's, there is no equity or fairness in the system at this point. Okay, so that, you wanna go? Okay, Vice Mayor Furr. Thank you. Um, uh, the, the, the number that we have for how many, however many cabs we have, it's all been kind of random as it is. There isn't, there isn't a particular formula that is, is no going to be right on this. No um, but, and I, and I, was, I really didn't want to dilute the, you know, I think cab drivers are, are having a hard enough time. And I didn't really want to add a whole lot more. However, I, the one reason, I, the one thing I think it, that we may want to consider that, this is to your point, is that we're doing the pilot now, and at some point we may be wanting more people to be uh, able to um, provide for the wheelchair, those people that need wheelchair, or those people that need paratransit. And that's, this could provide that base for that, and I think it might be worth that. Um, as for the, uh, the, the extra, um, Slots going to the drivers, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm fine with going to 25. Okay. The one part I don't agree with is going down to 60 months. I think it should be 10 years because you have a lot of cab drivers, at least those that I've talked to. Um, they've invested a lot of time. They've invested a, a big part of their life. And I want to make sure that those that have been there for 10 years are the ones that get the priority. If it if that if there's not an I think there is enough from what from what I it's not. from there's what not. I there's not mm -mm. no the, the cab drivers uh, are in agreement they with are. going down to the the five years 
the ten. I'm going down to five. No, I mean I've I've heard mixed. Uh, well, not, not as objective said to just me. leave it at five yeah. and, and, and well, it was a go. ten. It was a ten. I know when yeah. I said last time we had this discussion that it should be five. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. That, that's the only part. That's my only part. Of it. There's there's not been any objection from any of the cab drivers to go no. to five years. No objection for on cab drivers. Remy, could, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear from you. It's just like uh, what uh, the commissioner was saying. It's just the cost of those uh, wheelchair vehicles. Right. The wheelchair vehicle is going to cost about thirty dollars to $40,000. Right. And that's, that's what we were trying to do first, is just combine drivers together so they could, we could uh, get those uh, vehicles and then so you're saying more drivers could okay. benefit so the, from that. Okay. So, the, so by combining, we're doing somewhat of a cooperative. Exactly. You're, allowed, you're allowing for that. Okay. Yes. I'm fine with that then. Yes. I, I can go with that. Thank you. Um, okay. That's all I have. Thank you. Okay, so as it stands, the, do everybody understand the motion as it stands originally and then as it is amended by Commissioner Holness? No, okay? I no, understand the original one. What, I, I understand the written amendment. If there's an additional amendment that was just proposed, I would wish to debate that because I well, don't agree with the, that part. You but don't tell agree me what we're with on. allowing... The only other amendment besides the one that um, Commissioner Holness proffered was allowing the non-handicapped accessible vehicles access to the airport. That's yes, ma'am, I would other. like to debate that. You want to debate that? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so you would be the only one in queue to debate that. Go ahead. Thank you. I think that Commissioner Udin accurately pointed out that there's a three-hour wait right now at the lot and that many of the cabs, and we keep saying, talking about the importance of, of uh, the appearance for our tourists and that a lot of the other cabs, as Commissioner Udine just said, are in poor shape. Adding an additional 50 to that in particular group, the people that are already waiting in a three-hour queue at the airport, I think does not make sense. And if we go with the 15 or 25 additional and we go with the handicap, I don't think that we should do the additional 50 at the airport lot where there's already a three-hour wait. Okay, so what I was going to do is, is take them one at a time. The amendments are going to go first anyway, okay? So we're going to vote up or down the amendments. And so yeah, that well, way you would have an opportunity to, to voice your opinion. And I thought they were going to be voted on as one if they're no, separate. No, they're right? separate amendments, Thank okay? You. Thank you. All right. So the, the last amendment that was made was the one that you were just debating. That is the amendment to the original ordinance to um, allow the non-handicap accessible vehicles that are granted permits within this ordinance to have access to the airport. All those in favor, I need a motion on the amendment well, I, in a I, second. I think, I think we need a, a county attorney to proffer the language because we don't have it written here. Uh, she said she was going to do that. Yeah. We have that. I've been working from Commissioner Holness's item, so I need just a moment to locate it in the original ordinance. It's a three-word amendment. It's a three-word amendment. Okay. And, and, and while she's doing that, let me, let me just add that first, these are going to be uh, more likely newer vehicles that they're going to be putting on the road, so it won't hurt the appearance. Secondly, we're enticing the folks to get these handicapped vehicles that cost a lot more money. And if you're tying your hands on both instances, what enticement is that? 
when you don't allow them to have the freedom to go out and, and, and get a fare wherever they can to subsidize the handicapped vehicles. That doesn't seem fair at all. Yes. No, just the one, just the non-handicapped accessible vehicles. Uh, County Attorney? Yes. Um, in the original version of the ordinance, it appears on page 6, line 1, and just for your information, in um, Commissioner Holness's version as Exhibit 3, it appears on page 6, line 7. Insert after the number 6, wheelchair accessible vehicle, taxi cabs is already there, but you need to have a lowercase t in taxi cabs, and, and that takes care of that amendment. Okay. All right. So... Okay, yeah, I have a motion and a second, a motion on the, the additional amendment. I need a second. Second. Okay, I have a motion and a second on allowing the um, non-handicapped accessible vehicles to access the airport. All those in favor of that, signify by saying aye and raise your hand. Aye. aye. Okay, minute secretary. Okay, that passes five. All those opposed? Raise your hand so that you can be counted. You're opposed? Stephen, I'm so, opposed. Okay, then Commissioner Rich, you were four? Yes. Okay, so we have to make sure that she's counted as a four. All righty, so that amendment passes, okay? Now the next amendment that we are going to deal with is Commissioner Holness amendment in its original format that was attached to the original item, okay? I move that amendment. I have a second on that amendment. Okay, all those in favor of Clarification? that? Yes. Because there was discussion last time about whether the driver only restriction would be limited only to the 25 at the end or whether it would be extended to the 50 and 50. That's it, not part of this motion. Okay, it, okay. it was intended to it was intended be driver to be only. All, all of them. All of them. Yes. Because that's not as it's drafted. Okay, Commissioner Holness, would you like to fix your amendment now? Yes, so, so my amendment is that all the new certificates uh, that we're issuing, both uh, the 25 and the additional 50 with the 50 bonus be for drivers only. Okay, so I had a motion, are you still seconding that? Okay, all those in favor of the amendment to the uh, original ordinance signify by saying aye. aye. The, this is the original that's in front of me. Commissioner Holness had an amendment, and then we had a third amendment. We voted on the third. This is the second, which is Commissioner Holness's amendment. You're voting on the amendments. This is the second amendment. It's going to add 10 more. Okay. So I had a motion and a second. All those in favor, signify by aye and raise your hand. Aye. All opposed? Okay, minute secretary, you counted the one opposed. Okay. Two. One. Was you alone? No, I voted for it. Okay. And now let me make move that we vote for the ordinance as amended. Okay. Now we're on the, on the floor. We have the original ordinance for item number 61 that we will now vote for with all of its amendments in one. I have a motion and I have a second. You're supposed to have the words in front of you, so... Do you want I me to have the them. words now? I can read them on page but, four. Okay, go ahead. The version at line eight, number two. The certificates and associated bonus regular taxi cab certificates 
shall be made available to, only to applicants who meet the requirements of section 22.5-3A2B2. These certificates shall not be issued through the lottery system and then continue. That's, that's the end of the amendment. Okay, so I had a motion and a second on the entire um, ordinance as amended. All those in favor signify by saying aye and raise your hand. Aye. aye. All opposed? Are you a no or yes? I'm a yes. Okay. Commissioner Bogan, what are you? I'm a yes. You're a yes. Okay. Minute Secretary, let the record show that that passes unanimously. Okay, at this time that disposes of item number 61. We thank all of you for coming out for public participation and we hope that this does get you further to your goals. The next item, you're very welcome. The next item is item number 62. I, I have item number 62, Commissioner Bogan. Item 62 is on the regular agenda. And um, it's a motion to approve the request for proposals R2114349P1 group paid prepaid legal insurance services. You are the only person that pulled it. I do not have any audience speakers, Commissioner Bogan. Um, while I did pull it, I got my question answered, and so I'm ready to move it uh, as it was on the consent agenda. Move it. Second. Okay. I have Commissioner a, I Ryan. Have a, I have a question. Um, when these. Um, firms are selected that can participate in the prepaid legal services plan, um, is there any requirement that they be uh, local law firms, that they be Broward County based law firms? Because this firm is new. I have, I'd have to ask the um, purchasing director. I haven't read the entire RFP. And, and as, as she comes forward. Um, Ms. Billingsley? Is this, Ms. Henry? In this case, Mr. Kelleher. Mr. Kelleher? This, okay. And this issue, I mean. Thank um, you. If it's not uh, a uh, qualification that you be a Broward County based firm uh, to the county attorney, would we be able to place that requirement in an RFP? First to, to Mr. Kelleher. Uh, Kevin Kelleher, uh, Deputy CFO. Uh, what, we are, what we're uh, soliciting for is a network of sure. legal services. So it could be in Broward, it could be in Palm Beach, it could, it's, it's your you're soliciting for a network. And I mean, legal services that will be provided to employees of Broward County. Correct. It's a voluntary, it's a voluntary in, in benefit that they can uh, subscribe to, enroll in. And then what they'll do is they'll have a network of um, services and a network of law firms under your service. It, it's voluntary, but I mean, the employees, in order to participate, will have to pay some fee. Correct. Correct. If I might. Ask Mr. Kelleher, is there any mention in the RFP of uh, local having, having to have a local connection? There's a possibility that a firm might be in Palm Beach that would provide better services for certain kinds of legal work than than somebody that than the firms that are based in Broward. Generally, generally, if I could, help perhaps. Out. But I mean, I mean, what do we have? Ten, fifteen thousand lawyers in Broward County. I would imagine that you'd have a sufficient base of of, of attorneys that would. Uh, be able to provide these services. Yeah, generally, generally, what you're doing is you're you're we're contracting with a company that has a network, yeah. and a network has just like like with health insurance, you'll have providers that are in the the tri county area, and they'll have each have their areas of specialty. And because you have a provider, a an, an overarching provider, 
an employee could have litigation in another state. So you're not dealing with law firms, you're dealing with a provider with a collection of law firms. All right, that answers it. Okay. All right, commissioners, can we keep it moving? We have a motion and a second okay. on item number 62, signified by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. The next item that was pulled from the agenda was item 63. Mr. Rand, could you please come to the podium? You'll have two minutes to speak. Thank you. Item number 63. 62 years ago when I saw my city underwater from the hurricane, I started studying. I've been studying ever since. If you don't study history, you repeat it. In 1900, Galveston was whacked, uh, 10,000 people died, and afterwards they rose the city up and backfilled under the buildings and built a seawall. But the city was obsolete by Houston. In 1935, the Upper Keys, the strongest storm in United States history, hit. And if you drive in the Keys, you notice there's a stretch where all the buildings are on pilings, and that's the area that was whacked. So you're, you know, you're trying to fix something that can't be fixed. Um, I waited 35 years to see this map. I think it's really cool. Every, all the sections in the county in orange and red are no, nosebleeds at 10 to 12 feet, and the sections in green are built in the swamp. They're, most of the county is a floodplain for the river out there. Um, it's only a matter of time before we encounter uh, an awful situation. Um, it shouldn't have taken quite as long to figure out a map, but I. I figured it out 35 years ago just by driving through the county and figuring out the lay of the land. Um, I, again, as I said earlier, micro-elevating things produce, you know, you're, you're always trying to get this little tiny thing, whereas it's just the, the general area and keep it simple. Another point is that there's an awful lot of housing out there that's not going to be retrofitted. And I swear in the 29 years I was gainfully employed, we never had a discussion or a meeting on climate change, global warming, sea level rise, hurricanes, or disasters. Never. And that leaves the taxpayers short when the day comes. Thank you. Thank you. Back to this day as for a motion. So moved. All those in favor of item number 63, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously. We're now on to item number 67. Um, item number 67 is a motion to approve the final ranking of qualified firms request for proposals for design services for Wiles Road, University Drive to Riverside Drive. 66. I moved 66 to consent, didn't I? No, okay. All right, so do I have a motion on item number 66? I don't have any audience polls on item 66. Okay, all those in favor of item 66 signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Item number 67, do I have a motion to approve? No, I wish to, I have an issue on that. On which one? 67. Okay. Yes, Commissioner Geller? Uh, Madam Mayor, I've raised this issue before and will again. If, when I look at the score sheets here, and I would ask everyone to look at the score sheet, uh, and I don't know any of these people, I don't know any of the rankers, I don't know any of the companies. I see the top one, ASA Consultants, was top ranked by two, 96, 95 by one, got an 82 from one of the rankers. Uh, as I look through, I see that um, 
uh, Mr. Brunner and Mr. Fisher were generally similarly ranking companies, and the third ranker, Mr. Hammond, gave very high scores to two of them, but extremely low scores to the other bidders. And any time that I, I'm going to ask, I may want to postpone this. I want more information because any time I see ASA Consultants was ranked number one by two of the three bidders, but then, but two, excuse me, two of the three evaluators, and then the third evaluator ranked them so much lower, 13 points lower than one, 14 lower than the second, and then they ended up losing by two. You know, I, I don't know what the correct procedure is, but I'm always going to have a problem when you've got a three- or five-member selection committee and one person ranks them so far away from everybody else that it alters the score. Okay. So the reason why we went to the five-member selection committee is in the past we had three. And even when we had three, there was disparities in terms of the scores and the opinions in terms of the people who were ranking them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask Ms. Henry to elaborate further on why we do it the way we do it, because you're going to end up pulling every single item every single time. No, ma'am, I won't. No, I'm saying to you, you will, because if that is your problem, you will, because they are all going to come up the same way. But that's why we went to five. Ms. Henry, can you please elaborate? So there's two things I want to um, start to clarify. We have um, uh, a threshold whereby at a certain dollar value, I'm going to have the purchasing director um, come and confirm that dollar value. We use five members. Um, at a, another lower dollar value, we use three members. It is very labor intensive on the organization um, to have these individuals um, serve on these committees. I mean, they, it's, it's a lot of them, um, and the, the employees that are eligible to serve on them are at a higher level in the organization, so there's not that many of them to do that. So that's, so that's number one, and I'll have Ms. Billingsley confirm what, what the, the difference in the threshold is. Um, during my briefing, Senator Geller did raise the issue um, that is in front of you, and the response, um, I was able to have a conversation with, um, with, um, with my team on this one, and um, it's one of those uh, whereby um, the person that, um, uh, Mr., uh, the person that ranked the, um, um, had the most disparity in the rankings were the, was the individual who um, does road work day in and day out. The other two individuals, um, they are, in some instances, they're engineers, but they, they have a, just a tad bit of a different function. And when in the inquiry was, well, how, what did you see that the, in, the other individuals did not see? This person is looking for the, the, the team that, in their opinion, came to the table with a clear understanding of the road network that they were going to actually um, work on. And so the other individuals, they were good. Um, they had good teams, but these other, um, the teams that they ranked higher actually went out, looked at the road, and were able to discuss the nuances or some particulars of the road as I am advised. I don't have an issue with us um, at the moment pulling this item so that there can be greater conversation um, on that issue, 
But we had a similar situation, and and, and I don't mind in this instance, it involved um, um, our assistant county administrator um, who served on the committee and ranked these individuals, had a big disparity in the vote, and she was able to communicate and was prepared to communicate that that there were very specific issues that um, um, related to the credibility of of the firms on that particular one. So you are going to have members that bring different expertise to the table. They're going to see things that others may or may not see. So again, I don't have an issue with us pulling this so you can get your get a comfort level. Um, if um, we can bring different uh, record um, information with records to the to the table, so that you can see that the person who would actually be out there making sure that this road is done correctly uh, saw something that the others did not see. In addition and to Ms. that, Ms. Billingsley, I'm sorry if you just could for clarification on the number of committee members. Any any procurement that's five million and over is the five members, and anything under that is three, but Ms. Henry has the discretion to add additional members at her choice. And also, if, there, if the people who are bidding feels that there is some type of disparity in terms of the bid, they have a bid protest opportunity as well, and that this, there's no bid protest on this. Okay, um, no, no, wait, wait, I have a cue. Commissioner Holness is next, followed by Commissioner Ryan. I, I do understand your, your point of view, Commissioner Gallo. Uh, I've looked at these before and, and, and find them sometimes uh, concerning. On this one, though, if, if we take a look at it, we'll find that uh, the person who rank uh, AC low also rank most of the others very low. So there's some consistency there that uh, it wasn't as if they were particularly targeting one. Uh, in, in, in the first three ranking, in the first two, there's 13 and 12 points below the others, 17 and 18 below on the second. On the third one, it's, it's, the, the disparity is still there. And on the third, similarly, except for number, uh, the number fourth and fifth, Rank there, there's similarities there. So there's some consistency to probably their methodology, so to speak, if if, if I may, in that they're consistently lower, uh, and, and I guess they're looking from a different prism, uh, what is here than than the than the others were. So if it was just one person that they really lowballed, then I'd have some major concern. But it seems as if there's some consistency to their low numbers. Commissioner Ryan. I have a question regarding um, whether or not there was any consideration of price um, in the criteria by which these uh, architectural firms were um, evaluated for these design services. And uh, I know that there's some prohibition in state statute with regard to price for certain architectural uh, firms, but Ms. Billingsley, if, if we could have her if you, if you're able to she, answer that she, question. Um, I, you can come to the podium, Ms. Billingsley, and say if there's another question, but I can tell you that this is a CCNA. Um, so price uh, can't be considered. Exactly. Price cannot be considered. So so not only by the, the committee that ranks it, but your office, when you gather this data, you have no um, input at all with respect to the price to, to provide the, the services because it, it's, it's usurped or 
is preempted by a state statute. That is correct. Okay. Vice Mayor Fur. This, this only had three on it, correct? Correct. If I remember right, yeah. Uh, and I remember when we, we had talked because of the same kind of issue of, of those times when there's five of trying to kind of throw away the highest and the lowest. Are we still, are we, but I don't remember you coming back to us with that, how we were going to do that. In other words, if there was an outlier that it would be kind of you know, dispelled with. So the, um, there was a, um, a memorandum distributed, I believe, in November, okay. uh, this past November. But what, again, um, it's one of those where, uh, again, with, with five members on every, I mean, to, to be able to really make throwing the high and the low out, you'd end up with two, um, potentially, or you'd end up with one. I'm not sure how ultimately that works. With five, you can sort of make it work. Um, with the um, with three, and that's, a you know, again, a lot of the money. It, it just would be very difficult. If, if we, these are typical road projects, I wouldn't necessarily do right. that. There are some that are required, I mean, that would fall in that three threshold, but because um, there's um, uh, something unique about it. I would add a couple okay. of additional folk. Okay. This was just a judgment call. We didn't do it on this one. Uh, can you reset? Could you please resend that? Happy to do that. Yeah, just so I okay. can. I wanted to see how okay. how you laid it out, how that was going to work. That's all. Thank you. Can I? Can I, can I move? Yes, um, um, Commissioner. To me, Mike Hammond just looked like a harder grader than everybody else because all of his scores, it's not like he was really, yeah, except for two of them were a little bit higher. But, I mean, this, for this this area, this is in my district. This is those roads around there. Sample has been ripped up for a while. I'd like to see this move forward. Um, this is just the design. You know, there's been no protest. I'll move the item. Madam Mayor. Mayor. Yes. Um, Consideration of Commissioner Union, what I will do is withdraw any objection, but I do intend to work with staff to, and statisticians to say that there should be some way of saying that you, any deviation outside normally accepted parameters, 3%, whatever, that we would place some sort of cap, because I'm just tired of seeing you know, you two see, people really high, and then one person just shifted. So I'll withdraw any objection at this point. Okay. All right. So at this point, I have a motion and a second on item number 67. All in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously. The next item on our agenda is item number 70. That's the motion to adopt the budget resolution with the general fund for the Broward Sheriff's Office in the amount of $12 million for the purpose of reallocating funds from the BSO Reserve for future capital to fund replacement capital equipment, which includes two helicopters and a mobile command post vehicle. The item was deferred before. I do not have any audience speaker signed up on this item, and so it's back to this dais for motion. Commissioner Udine? I just have a couple questions. I know, I guess Colonel Harrington's here, so he might want to come up because I may have to ask him a couple questions. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to understand a couple things on this as it stands right now because you, you sent us a, a consultant's report that BSO had done a few months ago 
on, the, on all the aircraft fleet maintenance that BSO has. So as it stands right now, BSO has four helicopters. That is correct. Okay. Two of them are operational and two of them are not operational. Well, since I, since I have Colonel Poland okay. here, this, this falls under his command, so when, okay. I, have, when I have the right guy here, I'd Sure, I, I, I just want to understand so I can okay, understand. Good afternoon. So, three, three are operational and one is currently not operational. Okay, the one that's not operational, that's EC-130, which is the one that's being in inspection, or that's the one, there's two that are. That is correct. Okay, yes. so EC-130 is the one that's under the 12-year maintenance inspection, so that's not operational? Correct, that's actually in pieces at the moment. Okay, that's the one that's taken apart that the consultant talks yes, about. And then there's a fourth one that's in worse shape than that one. Well, we have a fourth one, well, not in worse shape because this one's not even in operational, it's in pieces. Uh, the fourth one that we have is currently uh, almost 18 years old. Okay, so there's, what I'm trying to understand, because I went through mm -hmm. this entire consultant's report. Mm -hmm. Of the four helicopters, there's basically two that work. One is 18 years old and it's exceeded its useful life, and one has been shelved for three years in an inspection that hasn't worked. We have, we have four total. We have uh, one that's a model year 2012, which is operational. We have one that's a model year uh, 2002, and we have two that are both uh, built from 1999. And in the industry standards, they go with a 12-year or 7,000-hour uh, time frame for operational use. So three of the four uh, by the law enforcement industry standard that we got from the uh, American Law Enforcement Aviation Association uh, are there no longer within their scope of uh, use. Okay. So we've used three helicopters for the past three years. That's correct. Okay. Um, When, the, when, they came, when, when you came before us for, an, for a helicopter in the past, I think it was 2011 or 2012, you, they sent a memo over and at that point they had two helicopters and one of them was not operational and it said like 67% of the time they only had use of one helicopter in 2011. That, sir, I would have no knowledge of. Okay. Well, there was a memo that was in 2011 because I saw it it was sent by the sheriff's office to, to the county, and it said we have two helicopters. One of them's not operational. One of them we can only use 67% of the time or whatever it was. Um, so that was in 11. We had one helicopter that we were using. Now for the past three years, we have three helicopters that we're using. The next thing that I saw, and, and, and these are just things that concern me in the, in the consultant's report. Mm -hmm. um, when it talked about the fleet maintenance, what, did the, what do they mean here when they say, and it's on page 22 of the report that you guys just sent me over? Um, the department, the DOM, I guess Director of Maintenance, said to the consultant that he has no idea what parts he has on hand, how long the parts have been stored, if there are sufficient quantities of parts, and there's no parts accountability in that, in that facility to fix any of these helicopters. I, and this was, this was from last month. Mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we reconcile? I, so I want you to have whatever you need to fight 
crime and to, do, and to transport emergency people. But when I get a report like this that says, up until 2011, we had one helicopter. For all practical purposes, right now we have three helicopters, and one of them is about 20 years old. I really don't have a problem transferring some money over to buy an additional helicopter. I would limit it to one helicopter. That gives you three perfectly good operational helicopters. There's one that's in parts that the consultant says they don't even want them to put it back together. It's just got to be parted out. That's no, and that's not even the oldest one. So, I mean, if there's a need for a fourth helicopter, maybe that comes next year because for, for, for the last X number of years, we've been at one or two helicopters in the agency. Well, you know, with the, as far as the consultant report's concerned, as you know, as being leaders sitting at your desk right now, there's no possible way you can have the answer for every question. Right. The most important thing is you know where to go to try to get those answers. Correct. So myself and the rest of the command staff, we obviously we speak with the mechanics who know about the aviation better than we do. We speak with the pilots and those who run our aviation division. We listen to them. We realize there still has to be a, a position and we have to put into place a uh, replacement fund, a right. replacement transition for the helicopters like we do for all of our, for our cars and motorcycles, et cetera realize that we need to uh, get an outside opinion. That's right. where we went to the International Chiefs Association of Police to get an idea of who to use. They recommended us to the American Law Enforcement Aviation Association, right. to this consultant for the report. And looking at the entire report, there are some things in there, obviously, you know what? We asked them to look at our baby. They looked at it, and they called the baby ugly because they right. put some things in, on, in writing that were important yeah. for us to know. One, that you just mentioned in reference to the, uh, the parts Right. Uh, atmosphere, which we're actually working on that right now to fix. Okay. So that's a problem. So my point on this is there's two, for all practical purposes, BSO has two helicopters that are in decent shape. Two, one of them is a 1990, the older one is a 1999 that's just got to go. It's we too old. Two 99s, correct. And the, and the second 99 is the one that's in part somewhere because it's being inspected. So in my opinion, they've been operating with two helicopters. I'd like to increase your public safety and your ability to for law enforcement and for ambulance mm -hmm. by moving you to three, but I don't want to go to four right now because I just think there's too many capital needs. Here's the one thing, sir, out. also in the report, if you read, the consultant made a very strong suggestion that we divide our mission. Currently, right now, the way that the sheriff's office is set up is, uh, is under the what we call Part 135 Air Ambulance Service. So all of our helicopters are designed to not only provide law enforcement response, but also for air rescue service. They're all designed that way. In the state of Florida, there are only two agencies that actually participate in that program out of all the county sheriff's office. And there's only 33 in the entire country. So the consultant recommended that we divide, our, divide the mission. In order to do that, we start off with that developing a replacement plan. And that's having two new ships, which are a cost savings for law enforcement because we no longer have to buy the larger ship for air rescue or outfit the machine itself for air rescue services. The two that we currently have, the two that are still remaining well, we would keep, and those would be used for air rescue. They're already designed, they're already outfitted, and they're ready to go. And that way we have the two missions. In three years, we look to do a replacement plan for our current air rescue. If we stay with what you're recommending with the two or three ships, we're back to doing the dual service again. And if we buy a new ship, that's going to cost us more money because it has to be a different ship, it has to be outfitted for air rescue. So... I don't know the answer to that question. You guys are the experts on that. Um, you know, my concern would be more 
for the EMS transport on the ships because I know the law enforcement aspect is changing a lot quicker and a lot of times helicopters aren't even used for I'm, I'm seeing more drones type with that kind of stuff to, you know, to track people down or whatever that may be. Um, so I don't know what the technology is going to be in the future on that, but I know right now there's two operational helicopters that are ALS certified. And this would be, and, and, and you would add another one, you would have a third one. Now there would be three operational helicopters that could be tailored for both ALS and, and law enforcement. And that would be an increase in your capital or in the ability for our public to get law enforcement or ALS type help. Well, again, by doing it that and, you know, as far as the operational, so we could actually have three different aircrafts. So the pilot has to understand how to operate three different aircraft. The mechanics have to fix right. and repair three different aircraft. We're trying to consolidate. So when that pilot gets into that machine, he knows that the on up button's over to the right and another machine may be down to the left. A mechanic knows that if he needs a 3 inch wrench to fit a device, it fits all the machines, not just the one. So again, trying to develop a program that the sheriff's office has not had in the past that we need for the future. So if this one's a hard one for me because mm -hmm. I want to give you guys whatever you want to fight law enforcement and to transport people. But as a steward of the taxpayer dollars, I'm only I'm one vote. You guys can go whatever way you want. But I'm inclined to do one helicopter now, and in the future, if there's another helicopter needed, come back and get another helicopter. Um, one thing, sir, you, you mentioned about the... Uh, the report from the consultant and talk about funding. Uh, he, he mentions in there at page seven that a 10 year cost to maintain the two 135s is $10.8 million. I know, but he's, he's all over the place on how it's even being man maintained. No one has any controls on how this stuff is being maintained. Maybe it's expensive, maybe it's not as expensive. I don't know. I mean, I, all I know is in the report that I have, I don't know anything about helicopters. I'm kind of afraid of heights, but. So. Um, so I, 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 so have a if I was going to well, make a motion, I would make a motion to tr do a budget transfer. The second part I have no problem with. I would do one helicopter now, and in a year if there's another, if we see that the county needs to go from two to three and from three to four, then let's come back. But to jump to four helicopters right now and all that entails for four operational 24 hours, we're going to be hit in the next few weeks with capital projects from the property appraiser, from the supervisor of elections, I sat in on the workshop. We talked about, you know, the Department of Detention jails. We have capital projects. Once we spy two helicopters, we're never going to get those dollars back. Those um, so can I, uh, um, Commissioner? It, it's okay. It's okay. Relax. I'm, I have a cue going, okay? I promise you all get to speak. Um, on the, the, the part of the report that I had the difficulty with was when he said that the pieces were all over the place and he didn't really know if all the pieces were there. So my question was, how did the same mechanic get the new helicopter and know where all the pieces are? And how does he maintain the one that's in there if he does that? Takes the thing apart and not know where the pieces are. So I need, I, I think we need some help in that respect, in terms of understanding what the proper, what the proper procedure is for when you take apart an airplane and where you store the pieces and what, what kind of um, safety nets that BSO has put in place to make sure that that's not the response that the person gives to someone coming in to look at that. 
Madam Mayor, if I can, we'll, we'll answer your question in just a second. If I can just address Commissioner Udine's sure. former question for just a second. Yes. The purchase of these two helicopters is extremely important to Sheriff Israel. And this is not going to be four helicopters. This is really going to be three helicopters. Two law enforcement mission-centric helicopters, which we look to purchase, which are smaller aircraft and less expensive aircraft. And we will have one that is the dual mission helicopter that will take care of our medevac situations. So right now we're not talking about having a fleet of four helicopters. We're talking, talking about having a fleet of three, two new helicopters and one that can serve the public safety issue of being able to deliver critical uh, patients to uh, a trauma center as quickly as possible. I, I, I get it, but you have two already that are in good shape, and then you would order another one. That would be the third. That's what I'm talking about. Then you have two that would be scrapped or salvaged, uh, and that would be your three. I'm w I agree with you. And, sir, if we, if we did that, we'd be right back with all three ships serving one purpose of a dual mission of law enforcement and fire rescue together, which actually increased the costs to operate. So the two ships that you have that are in good shape are dual mission ships? Yes, sir. So you would have that. So on the new one, buy a, buy a law enforcement fire. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're so looking to do the two new ones, so they would be identical for law enforcement, and the other ones that we mentioned – Fire rescue so, for so if you have one brand new law enforcement helicopter mm -hmm. and that helicopter was out and you needed a backup, you would have one of these that is a dual mission. It would still that's what you're using now. So the public would be safer because you'd have a second backup. You just wouldn't have two brand new dual law enforcement. All right, that's fine. I mean, I'm, I have my questions. Madam Mayor, to answer your question, if also in the consultant report, he did talk about the, the parts area being a mess, but also he mentioned it about the, the mechanics himself. The mechanics were tremendous mechanics. So that's right in the report as well. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yes. great. They're, I'm not. I, it's I'm, not about that. Yeah. What my concern is, is they could be great mechanics, but if mm -hmm. they take a part off of an aircraft, or, or uh, a helicopter in this particular situation, mm -hmm. and they don't catalog that properly or store it, and they don't know where that piece is, when you need it again, you may be spending extra money trying to buy a part that's already sitting in your bay. So my, my thing about it is organization and getting it together. You know, we know that we have lots of people that are great at what they do, but they just may not be great organizers. This is something that's really expensive and very important for you, and that's, that's the part that stood out for me. Um, we're already looking and we already have a, a plan in place to have a quartermaster who will that's, be their specific job as parts management. And Okay, so at this time I do have a queue. I'm going to go ahead and go through the queue. Mm -hmm. You can have a seat in the front just in case they need sure, to ask absolutely. you anything else, Colonel Poland. Okay, I have Commissioner Bolgan followed by Commissioner Ryan. Well, I agree with Commissioner Udine in the sense that we need to watch over the taxpayer dollars. I, I, I think it's dangerous of us to start saying what equipment they need and what equipment they don't need. So, Colonel, how many helicopters do you need to do your job? One, two, three? How many helicopters do you need to do a job? I think that's a question that's not been answered. Sir, to be a, effective and efficient, we need four. Two for law enforcement and two for fire rescue. But Commissioner just, point, just wait, wait, Commissioner just pointed out that since two, in 2011 you only had one. Why do you need three more? 
I'm not sure if 2011, if that number is accurate. I just, I don't have that information on that. Okay, so, so your position today is to, to do a complete job, you need four helicopters. Yes, sir. Two medevac and two law enforcement. Yes, sir. And right now you have two medevac. We actually have three medevac. Three medevac. Yes, sir. No law enforcement. They the do dual, dual service. Dual purpose. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. So, so uh, the sheriff's position is to do a complete, to do a, a proper job, you need four operating helicopters. Yes, or, sir. or available helicopters. Okay. And then Commissioner Udine also talked about the budget. Uh, my understanding, and maybe the administrator could help with this, I thought this is in their reserve already. This has already been allocated. It's not like we can use this for supervisor elections or somewhere else. Is this money in the general fund, or can you address that? So these are general fund dollars. They are uh, dollars that were um, saved at the end of the prior year that uh, returned to the county um, per state statutes. 70% of those dollars um, go into this capital reserve that's, that's being referenced. The other 30% goes to, uh, addre to address uh, um, outside, I mean, uh, other post-employment benefits. Saved by who? So the sheriff's office saved money and then it goes into... A, Correct. A, it's money that so, the sheriff did not spend at the end of 2016 that's moved over where a percentage goes, because ultimately y you have the appropriating authority on what to do with the money. Right. The, 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 no, 60, the 70 30 split was something that we worked out many years ago. Okay, so, so your point is that they already have two helicopters, all they, they need they, is they one. They have four helicopters, two of them don't work. Right, so, so, let's talk, so let's just talk about what they have working. So they have two they that have work. Three that work. Three. Three. They have three that work. But one of them is so old that it's barely working. Well, okay, so let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say two that, that work efficiently. So, so you, Commissioner, your point is that let's just give them one more and they claim well, they need two more? They said they need three helicopters originally. They, need, they want to separate the medevac and the law enforcement. So they want two law enforcement and two medevac. Okay, but you're saying, I think you're saying is let's just give them one. If we one bought more. one new, if we bought one new helicopter right now, they, they would have, have four. They would have five, and they're salvaging one, and they have one other one that's an older one. One of the helicopters is taken apart per their right. So let's not even talk about it. Why are we even talking about it? Let's because just because it's still the county property. Okay, I, I, so I, I, commissioners, we do not go back and forth between no, each I'm other. A, I'm allowed to talk no. to my. Excuse no, no, me, no. I have the floor, no. and, and this is why we have a sunshine law, but, so we can talk to each other. But the thing is, is that we have a queue going on right okay, now. Okay, I, I still have the floor, and I'm still talking, Mayor. I know you're still talking. Okay, so what I want to understand exactly what's the, what his point is and what they need. Okay. Okay? Well. So, so I understand about the property. To, he claims he needs four. You can't, because so, I have Geller. So that, I don't disagree with and anything that anybody said. So in an ideal world, maybe they need four and maybe they need whatever the number Okay, so be. commissioners, can we do this then? I'm going to ask for a motion to extend the meeting. So move. It's already Second. 1234. Second. Okay. okay. So I'm going to extend the meeting for 10 minutes. Are we extending just for uh, this item? No. Or? We're going to extend this meeting for 10 minutes exactly. At the end of 10 minutes, if you guys can't complete this discussion, we'll break and we'll come back at 1.30, okay? Sure. So that's where we're at right now. So I have a motion and a second to, to extend. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed. Let the record show that we're going to extend for 10 minutes. That will be at 12.45. Thank you. 
Okay, continue. The question that you asked me is, I got the report that Colonel Harrington sent over. I'm assuming he sent it to everybody. In the report, it says they have four helicopters. Two of them are operational that they've been using. The third one they may have been using, but it's super old. The fourth one is undergoing its 12-year inspection, and it's in parts. And it says it's in parts for the last three years. So they haven't been using that for three years. So they've been operating the Broward Sheriff's Office with three helicopters. So your point is, why do they now need four? My point is, they're operating with three helicopters. We replace the oldest helicopter. If they want to make that a law enforcement helicopter only, they have a law enforcement helicopter and a medevac helicopter. The third helicopter is joint use medevac. I get it. I got it. I got it. So he's got a good point. You've been using three officially for law enforcement. Why do you? And just to add, I would doubt that they're even using three. My guess is they're using two. We are using three. Yes, sir. Okay, let's we assume you're using three. three. Why, yes, why, why then, to his point, why do you need to buy two when one, one more would even give you more than what you've had? Right. Once again, Sheriff Israel strongly believes we have to put a, a plan into place for the future. There hasn't been a plan in place reference to an aviation or helicopter replacement fund. It's like we're always trying to catch up. And we have, like, two of our machines are 18 years old. The other one is 15 years it. old. Got so, all that. So if you take his recommendation and just do one... Mm-hmm. You, you, there's, you can't stay, say that we're not going to be able to, as sheriffs would say sometimes, I can't defend the public. You, know, you, you would have sufficient right now. I'm not talking about future, but today you'd have sufficient capability. But again, we can't divide our mission. We can't divide the law enforcement and the fire rescue if we, because the ship that we buy, if it's law enforcement only, we no longer can do fire rescue air service. Well, you have two other, sh- two other helicopters to do that. There are two other, correct? Okay. And those two are going to go to fire rescue So for their emissions. What am I missing? So you have an old one, and then you got a new one if you got a new one. So you'd have two for law enforcement. Two, two remain. Two remain for fire rescue. Two are going to be salvaged or sold or traded in, whatever went aside. And then two would be law enforcement. Okay, I got it. Thank you. Okay. Commissioner Ryan, followed by Geller. Maybe we ought to just try to step back, look at the big picture. So it begins with, um, when we have our budget discussion, uh, if there's rollover funds, frequently it's because of efficiencies and effectiveness within uh, the office of a constitutional officer. And, um, you know, we really, I think, decided, and we debated this for years, is that we, we gave a portion of the rollover funds back to the constitutional officer in recognition of the work they're doing and to allow them to stay ahead of the curve with regard to the capital needs. So I don't think we should be micromanaging here and telling uh, professional law enforcement officers how many helicopters they need. They know the number of missions that they run. They know that they have uh, two separate missions. You know, you, you, you've got to run Broward County. Two-thirds of Broward County is west of, of U.S. 27. You have an accident out there. Uh, you've got to have a helicopter. It's got to go way out there. If there's another emergency on a roadway, I-95, the turnpike or something like that, you can't be without two medback helicopters. With regard to the, to the sheriff's needs, they recognize that uh, based upon the number of missions that they run, that they feel it is prudent for law enforcement needs to have two separate helicopters that are going to do the law enforcement. So you got some guy that, that, that you know, breaks into somebody's house, and then he's out in the neighborhood, and you're trying to cordon him off. It's in the evening, and this is why you have these helicopters out here at night. 
I don't think we should be second guessing them. And um, I'm I'm in favor, and I would I would vote in favor of uh, item number seventy. And I move that we uh, okay. approve item seventy. So at this time, I have a queue going. Commissioner Geller is next in queue, followed by Commissioner Holness. I'll be very quick. Um, if you guys have three helicopters at some point in time, I want to make sure. I know that you guys are saying that you want two strictly law enforcement, two strictly uh, for uh, medevac, but. If you're going to be at a case where you're going to have three at a time, I would not want to only to be law enforcement because that way if you have one that's medevac and it's down or busy, you don't have the backup. So it seems to me if you want to have one that's strictly law enforcement, that makes sense. You want to have one that's strictly medevac, that makes sense, but that the other two or one should continue in the future to be dual purpose. I'm done, Madam Mayor. Thank you. Commissioner Holness? I understand the sheriff's budget and he decides how he runs his shop. But I, I still believe that when something comes to spend the public dollars, we ought to let the public know more. And, and here's, amongst all the debate, here's what I haven't heard. I haven't heard that there are occasions when there's a, a lag in service because you don't have a vehicle, uh, a helicopter available. Uh, I don't hear that there's an established shortage and, and any kind of uh, argument being made that here's the reason why. I understand you say you want it, but at least we ought to let the public know here's the reason why we're doing this, that we, we have times when we have need for those extras. That I haven't heard. Uh, I mean, I want to support it because, you know, it's your house. But, but again, I think that when you come to us, please, let us ensure that the public is aware of the, of the actions we're taking. At the end of the day, it's your department, yes. But they're looking at us as the purse keepers. And though you're spending it, they think we're the one who actually are doing it. When at the end of the day, if we have to raise taxes or make some adjustments that's going to be detrimental to them, it's not the sheriff that they're pointing fingers at. They're pointing it at us. Thank you. Thank you. I, pre I appreciate what Commissioner Holmes just said. I, I also would like to have known if there was any lags or if there was any, you know, if there was a, a downtime where we absolutely needed it. But the, the only thing I wanted to say was over the last two years, we've heard what, you know, the capital needs are particularly in terms of fleet, police cars, a whole bit. This wasn't mentioned on there. So, for the, la so for, the, for the last two years, we've been trying to, you know, we've been told we have to do catch-up. And, and we, you know, we're on this, we're on this um, uh, timetable to, to, to purchase police cars, et cetera. Now, this has taken a huge hunk of that money and maybe... Um, 12 million. You want to, yeah. I thought we were on our on the way to try to to you know buy everything we needed to do. This seems to be taking a lot out of that and and, and keeping us from meeting that timeline. Well, Vice Mayor, what I can tell you is that when uh, uh, Sheriff Israel first took office, we had seventy percent of our entire fleet was either at the seven year or one hundred and twenty thousand mile that. mark. I remember that. Uh, and uh, at, at the sheriff's direction, we did tremendous work in uh, stemming that tide. Uh, I'm happy to report that at, at this time, the regional fleet 
I mean, it's one thing to to stop at that 70 percent uh, is one feat. To have it go the other direction uh, is monumental. Uh, we've been able to take that number on the regional side from 70 to 44 percent, and on the contract city side, is hovering somewhere around 23 percent. So we we have been addressing those those needs when it comes to the uh, uh, fleet uh, vehicles. But the helicopter business is inherently an expensive business, uh, and we, we, we need these helicopters. That's, that's why we went out and got the consultant's report. I and guess I'm surprised that when, when you brought to me you, all your capital needs only a year ago, this wasn't on there, and you had, you had an entire list of other things, and suddenly it, it has jumped to the front of the line. That, that part I don't understand. I understand all those other needs you were telling me about. And I think we've been doing everything we can to help you along to get there. And I'm glad those numbers are going down. Break. And, you, and what you had told me was this was a five or six year timetable to try to get everybody there. This to, what, by doing this, it seems to me we are um, lengthening that timetable. And, and like I said, and a few other things are now jumping in place. Right. Well, part part of the of the vehicle is we we can only push cars through that fast to be able to purchase them, have them delivered, have a staging area, have them upfitted, uh, have them auctioned. So we're at time, there's there's a bit of a time constraint to make all of those things happen. Um, in 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 meetings with all of you, and if I was remiss, um, I in, in, in communicating it with you is that helicopters was was going to be on the horizon and we are at that point now but we like to think that we've kind of created our own luck through um, some uh, very efficient spending patterns to be able to come up with with the money to be able to solve this ourselves and not have this heaped on to our um, proposed budget okay and, and lastly, I, it would seem to me, and, I, and I, I know you have a different opinion on it, but it would seem to me you would want to have, as, have every helicopter be multipurpose, just in, you know, for, for whatever occasion. You don't want, you know, I, I don't know why you would want to. Well, I'll have, I'll have, okay. I'll have the okay, experts. Okay, so we're at 1245 now, and I've already extended the meeting. We do need the break. The minute secretary needs her break as well. We cannot continue to go. So if you all are not ready to wrap up this item, we will go ahead and break. We will go ahead and break and then come back. Mayor, I've already moved the item. I second. Okay. So we're going to, uh, do we have any, so we have a substitute motion, which was to for the one. Commissioner Udine, are you still at the, on, on your substitute motion? Well, my motion would be that we do the $2 million for the mobile command that was separate that we do $5 million for one helicopter, which increases the fleet that they can use from now two to three. And that would be, and in, in next year we can revisit if they need to have a fourth helicopter. Okay, so that's the, the substitute motion, which will be voted on first. I have a second on the substitute motion. Second. I'll second the substitute motion. Okay. Pass the gavel to Chairman has it. I can second the substitute motion. Okay, so the substitute motion has been seconded. All those in favor of the substitute motion signify by saying aye and aye. raise your hand. Aye. All opposed? Okay. So the substitute motion dies and it does not pass. Now, we, we have the statement. No, wait, but you wanted to make a statement. Yes, yes Commissioner did. Rich. I did. Okay. 
I just want to say one thing. I voted uh, against that motion because I, I agree that we should not be, um, you know, micromanaging this. However, uh, I just want to mention that you got up here and you talked about the future, vision for the future. And yet what you're doing and what you're asking us to do today is really uh, not taking into account new technology, not talking about a drone, something you might, you know, want to replace one of these helicopters with. I don't know, but I, I, to me, this is really putting us back into the same place where we were. So I, I would like in the future, you know, if we're going to do this, I think you should, if you, you brought up about vision and looking to the future, and the future is not going to be the same as today. Okay, so we had a motion and a second on the floor for item number 70. Um, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Opposed. Okay, let the record show that that passes on a seven with one. Okay, Opp opposition. All right, so the next item is going to be taken up after we come back from break. We will be on break until two o'clock. Okay, so at two o'clock we will come back and we'll take up the remainder of the agenda. Thank you.
Port Everglades stands out from any other port because of its location. We have access to Interstate I-95, Interstate 595, and Florida's Turnpike, which is extremely easy to get in and out of uh, Port Everglades. I think our future is very bright. We're looking forward to the dredging being complete. We're looking forward to having uh, bigger ships that can come through the Panama Canal. We're looking forward to having high-speed cranes, faster cranes, more cranes that can handle those containers. The more containers that come into Port Everglades, the more my members work. So we're looking forward to the future. My job impacts Broward County because we're able to hire from local schools and colleges and universities. We also hire retirees in the community. So we're bringing a lot of job opportunity and growth to the community and to those individuals. My job here at the port means everything to me. As a single mother, um, this job helps me provide what my daughter needs to be happy, healthy, and successful in life. So our workforce has grown exponentially since the time I've been here for about four years. In the last year, we've grown our workforce to just 30%, just over 700 airports crew members and about 1,800 crew members all in. of IT enhancing the operations, uh, we're currently looking at some tabletop ordering options, some self-service kiosks, 
But the big piece that uh, we employed last year was our Grab app. You're able to pick any of our restaurants, pick any of the full menu off of them, order and your food will be ready um, at the restaurant when you go. It's great if you're waiting in line for TSA, just open up the app, order your food and it'll be waiting for you. Shelter, we have a direct economic impact locally of over $50 million a year with indirect impact for industries such as car rentals, local restaurants, catering, and hotels. Tourism means a lot of things to everyone here in our town. It's the lifeblood of the community. It's a full circle with our friends and our families, our co-workers. We don't always leave our jobs when we go home. We want people to come to Fort Lauderdale, see what Fort Lauderdale has to offer with all of our beautiful waterways and our gorgeous beaches. The tours that we have down here are unique to a lot of places in the world. So the future can only be brighter specifically at this location, but in Fort Lauderdale in particular and with the help and the side-by-side -side work of the CVB, we only see more and more international people coming to the location. We only see more and more international tourism continuing to visit this location. And we just see a continued growth of success here in Fort Lauderdale that's going to continue to be the flagship location of Louis Bossy. So the Art and Culture Center team loves working with the CBB, which we believe is essential in bringing tourism here to our county. Broward County is home to 23 miles of beach that offer everything from oceanfront dining, hotels and shopping, to diving, or just relaxing along the shoreline with a good book. Our beaches generate $8.5 billion a year in economic impact for Broward County. This is our first time here and it's definitely great. I like how uh, they like nurse the turtle nest and take care of them and block them off. Um, I'm here really just because my friends requested um, Broward County and it's beautiful out here and I love it. It's just beautiful. I mean, I like the way the beaches are. They're clean. Broward's beaches are awesome. Visiting from Texas and Broward's beaches are the best. But sometimes Mother Nature can take the sand away from the beach as fast as she can bring it. And this can result in beach erosion. 
and Broward County is actively replenishing its beaches to help control erosion, protect the infrastructure, environment, and wildlife to ensure our beaches are here for future generations. We have a, quite a history of active beach management programs in Broward County. We consider uh, segment one being the north part of the county that extends from our county line down to the uh, Hillsborough Inlet. Segment two extends from the Hillsborough Inlet down to uh, Port Everglades. And then segment three is Port Everglades down to the South County line with Miami-Dade County. The most active area of management has been segment three, the area south of Port Everglades. And the reason that that's most actively um, needing beach uh, nourishment or, or sand replenishment is because the presence of the channel itself and the jetties on the, the north and south sides actually create an impediment to what is the natural movement of sand along our beaches. Well, the beaches are uh, real critical to the preservation of, of a lot of our coastal infrastructure, uh, one, and two beaches are also real key to our, uh, our economy and the tourism industry. Uh, first, if we just look at the amount of infrastructure that's protected by our beaches, it's valued at about $4 billion. So keeping sand on our beaches ensures that when we have uh, storms and wave energy, the majority of that energy is interceded by the beaches. It breaks up that wave energy and makes sure that our roads and all the buildings on the back end are protected. Well, we've, we've seen what happens when we don't replenish our beaches. We have seen that in the course of six to seven years with uh, sufficient uh, storm energy, uh, quite a bit of erosion can take place. So sand is lost from the system, it's not replaced. So in the absence of preserving the beaches, we see loss of the beach for habitat, um, loss of beach for recreational uses as water laps up you know, directly to the infrastructure itself. And we've actually seen a collapse of infrastructure such as with A1A, You may also be wondering about the effects of climate change and sea level rise to our beaches. They play a significant role in our planning process. When we think about the pressures of um, climate change and sea level rise, it really um, brings into focus the additional importance of preserving our beaches. As sea levels rise, there will be the potential for increased, say, impacts associated with storm surge, um, increased erosion we've seen during extreme high tide events coupled with storms, the amount of additional erosion that takes place. That provides us insight to the scale to which we will need to be prepared to compensate. Additionally, it really underscores the need for um, building up additional I think barriers or buffers within the system, such as sand dunes.
if we look to our communities to the north and south, such as Miami-Dade and, and Palm Beach County, about 80% of their shorelines is populated with sand dunes. In Broward County, it's more like 60%, and I think it, it speaks volumes to um, an opportunity or a, a need that we have, and so we actually are committing to increasing the presence of beach dunes to a, a, a percentage of 80% in our shoreline. Our beaches not only protect our infrastructure, but they also play a key role in the preservation of critical habitat. The beaches of Broward County are actively used by several species of sea turtles during nesting season. And the county is taking extra precautions when it comes to quality assurance and quality control of renourishment efforts. From the sand being placed on our beaches to testing the ocean water for sediment, our team has a fail-safe checks and balances system in place. Bringing the sand in from the mine, we have a county inspector that's taking a sample from the sand. As you can see, when the truck pulls up, he gets the weight ticket and he also looks at the contents of the sand. Also, we're performing random analyses at a lab of the sand that's being placed on the beach. And at the Upland Sand Mine, for every 3,000 cubic yards of sand that's produced, they have to run four tests on it. So it's a quite comprehensive system they have in place for a quality assurance, quality control. So with turbidity, what we're trying not to do is have a certain level of suspended sediments in the water column. And when you have too much, then the water can't get down to the natural resources. We have a higher turbidity contractor that comes out here daily and measures the amount of sediment that's impacting the water. He'll go out, grab a sample, come back to the shore. And from there he has a machine and he'll run the analysis. And to compare it, he has to go outside the project area limits and he samples how much suspended sediment is in the water naturally. And if it's above a certain level, we have to shut down operations to protect the resources. And we can't start until a reading comes back within compliance levels. Technology also plays a big role in the renourishment process. A laser guidance system is controlling the elevation of the new sand. The laser guidance system is not used on every project. Our contractor decided to utilize it for this project. What the laser guidance system does is there's a off-site smart antenna that relays information to the bulldozer that says this is the grade that you're, you need to be grading to. So grade is the elevation which we're allowed to go to by permit. Natural forces constantly move sand along our coast. Some of the sand is carried along the shore and redeposited further down the beach or in some cases, is carried offshore. What you see next to me is a form of beach erosion called scarping. Scarping is essentially a, a cliff formed in the sand from a high wave event that's caused either from fronts passing by, nor'easters, or a major storm event like a hurricane. So when the waves come in, they hit the beach and they erode the higher portions of the beach and they bring it down to a lower elevation. Broward's beaches are enjoyed by residents and visitors year-round.
and are vital to our infrastructure and economy. Whether you live on a beach or miles away, we all have an impact. I think the importance of beach renourishment is right now we have a naturally occurring process of erosion that goes on and it's something that we can try to mitigate for but we can't control. So this helps us maintain that habitat for nesting sea turtles, for shorebirds, and it also helps us maintain the, the wide pristine beaches that are known around the world that people come to South Florida for. I think the most fascinating part of the Beach Renourishment Project itself is standing on the portion of the beach that hasn't been built yet and looking up to what's been constructed. It's, it's amazing that one day you can be standing where you would be in water and the next day you're on dry beach. So I think it's a monumental effort that goes into it, but I think the end result is it's just incredible to see the the before and afters and how much habitat, how much recreational space uh, and storm protection you're providing from just a very simple process of putting sand on the beach. Communities across the state and country are looking at the success of this very large truck haul project as a renourishment alternative for environmentally sensitive regions. oftentimes asked about um, the influence of sea level rise on our beaches and, and what does that mean for the future. And I think that we, we can fully acknowledge that beach nourishment will be a really important part of the way that we continue to protect our shorelines for the coming decades. Welcome to Living Green. Did you know each household annually consumes about 10,600 kilowatts of electricity? 
which costs households over $1,000 each year. A whopping 1.8 tons of coal is burned annually to provide electricity to a home. The cost to produce energy is going up, and that means higher utility bills. On today's show, we'll learn about ways you can conserve energy within your home. We'll explore some energy efficient features of a home in a new neighborhood. Next, we will visit with a utility specialist as she conducts an energy audit of a home. Then, we'll explore the option of installing a solar water heater. Finally, we'll examine energy rebates that are made available to customers of a local utility company. Our daily activities in our home require energy. Think about it, preparing meals, washing clothes, taking showers, and listening to your stereo takes energy. Just sitting in the comfort of your home, you may have the AC running with the lights on while watching TV. Where does electricity come from when we flip on a switch? In the U.S., roughly 50% of the electricity comes from coal-fired power plants, 20% from nuclear, and 18% from natural gas. We may not think about where our energy comes from, but people do notice how much energy costs when they get their utility bill. With new construction, developers and contractors have many options to make a home more energy efficient. We met up with Dr. Pierce Jones, director of University of Florida's Program for Resource Efficient Communities. Pierce gave us a tour of a model home and lot that is energy efficient. One of the things that I particularly like about this development is the fact that the developers left uh, a lot of the original tree cover. This was a fully wooded site when they came in here. And when they laid out the lots, they, they left a buffer of trees. Uh, and since the whole project is pretty much oriented north-south, those trees happen to be primarily uh, along the west and east sides of the property. So from an energy point of view, what that means is those trees provide shade uh, in the morning and in the afternoon when the load on the homes is greatest. And uh, I think when you look at the house, you can see the shade pattern that those trees are providing. And um, of course, that's load that the house doesn't have to deal with. So your air conditioning system doesn't have to deal with that load. And air conditioning is, in Florida, the primary consumer of energy in a home. So in addition to the trees providing shade on the home, we also designed the house to have porches on the east and west sides that shade the windows. And you can see that uh, even though this is morning and this is the west side of the house, that that's a fully shaded window. And there's only a very brief period of time during the day when that load gets into the home. Um, very significant advantages when we've done the energy analysis in this home. This, this porch really provides uh, tremendous benefits. Another feature um, of the home is that all of the windows are low E, double pane low E windows, uh, which are very energy efficient. The um, uh, low E is especially important in Florida uh, because what it effectively does is exclude infrared uh, wavelengths of light. So again, that energy stays outside the home as opposed to coming in where the air conditioning system would have to deal with it. In addition to the outside, the inside of a house can be designed and managed to conserve energy. We'll mark in addition to the doors and windows, uh, obviously the walls uh, need to be well insulated uh, for an energy efficient home. 
In this house, uh, we used a product called EcoBlock that is um, more generally referred to as an insulated concrete form product. And you can notice that the walls are thick and you might have assumed that it was concrete block, but in fact, uh, it was made of, of this product, which uh, has two inches of expanded polystyrene on both the inside and the outside. And this interior cavity, uh, this is put up like Legos, and then that cavity uh, with steel in place is filled with concrete. So you have no voids in the wall. Um, of course, it's an extremely strong wall being essentially cast in place concrete. And uh, of course, the thermal properties are tremendous. The R value of these walls is roughly 25, which is, uh, is very high, a very good value. Now, what is R value? Insulation is rated in terms of resistance to heat flow, or R value. Pretend this is a section of your wall. The higher the R value, the greater the resistance to heat flow. Adding more insulation means less cooled or heated air will escape from your room. One other thing I suppose I should mention while we're standing here uh, in this area is that all of the ductwork, the air conditioning and heating ductwork that's in the house is in conditioned space as opposed to having those ducts running through the attic where they're going to be exposed to hot and cold temperatures uh, which can generate losses. Uh, instead, we put the, the ductwork in a chase that you can see above the kitchen here causes the temperature, the external temperature of the ducts to be uh, closer to the temperature of the room, which is what you want to maintain. So once you've got the thermal insulation in place around the building envelope, um, uh, then you're going to provide conditioning, air conditioning and heating. And the thermostat is uh, located here pretty much in the center of the living area. And uh, of course, that's a representation of what the air temperature is in the room. And the, the system's going to turn on and turn off according to what it senses right here. And one of the things that can help in terms of there being cold spots and hot spots in the home is the addition of ceiling fans, which distribute the air and uh, cause a more comfortable distribution of temperatures in the room. The, um, windows, the doors, the walls, but we can't forget about the ceiling. Attic insulation is probably the most important insulation that you have to have in the home for energy efficiency. Uh, this house has R30, which actually is fairly standard for a well-insulated home uh, in Florida. Um, and I, I'd like to make the point that, that the ductwork that I mentioned earlier, the, the fact that all of the air conditioning and heating ductwork is in this chase, the attic insulation is above that chase, and that's what sort of insulates that duct space from the attic space where temperatures can be very high in the summertime. In fact, over 140 degrees would not be uncommon. So that's a, a very important element to, to insulating and making a home um, very energy efficient. In addition to having the ductwork in conditioned space, uh, this home has a dedicated mechanical room that's in conditioned space where the air handler is located. Uh, as well as the uh, hot water system. This is on the second floor of the home, fairly near the center of the home, and of course that makes for compact runs of both the ductwork and the hot water lines. Uh, those are important contributors to the energy efficiency of the home. Other important features of the home uh, for energy efficiency is the lighting. And uh, 
tremendous strides have been made in making compact fluorescent lighting uh, readily available and these will require a third to a fourth as much energy to give you the same light as incandescent lighting. And this house uh, has only compact fluorescent or regular fluorescent lighting throughout and uh, we think that's going to be a major benefit from an energy efficiency point of view. Okay, it's great if you purchased a home with all these features to conserve energy, but what about retrofitting a home? What can you do to make older homes more energy efficient? To learn more about what homeowners can do, we met up with Amy Karpus, a utility energy expert who helps homeowners create energy efficient homes. She's conducting an energy audit for a homeowner who asked Amy to come out and evaluate her home. Hi, my name is Rose Fagler and uh, we bought an older house about three years ago and we're interested in getting um, uh, some tips on conservation because we're getting ready to do renovations to the house. Uh, we wanted to uh, have a benchmark, so to speak, understand where we are with our consumption right now and then as we're doing the renovations, make sure that we do them um, so that they're energy efficient and then we can uh, look back and see you know, how much we save so that we can justify the expense. There are many things people can do within their home to save energy. Amy gave us some important tips. Okay, so this is the air handler unit for the house. Uh -huh. It's the biggest energy consumer in the home, usually year-round. A uh, few things that you should check when you're looking at it is you need to look, turn the unit on, and check for airflow around the unit. Any place where you can see here that the tape has let go, okay, uh -huh. that's where the air is coming out into the garage or into the closet in the house and it's not going into the system like it needs to. Therefore you're wasting energy. Okay? Um, plus you're also introducing anything in the garage, chemicals, exhaust from the car, anything can be pulled in this way and be distributed through the house. So making sure that the air conditioning unit and the, the whole air handler itself is well sealed is a good thing to do. Another thing to look at, one of the most important things to do with your air handler on a regular basis is to check the filter. Okay? Changing out the filter every month, if it's a monthly filter, or changing it out every two or every three, whatever the filter requires. Um, however, if you've got one of the longer lasting filters, you still want to check it monthly every other month just to make sure that anything you've been doing in the house has not clogged up the filter. Um, so what happens when the filter clogs up? Well, when the filter clogs up, what's happening is the air is coming back from the house into the unit down here, and the blower fan is pushing it through the air handler, either through the furnace section here in the winter or through the air conditioning system here, and then back into the home. So if the filter is clogged, it's not being able to breathe. It cannot allow the air to pass through into the unit and then the unit has to work harder and harder and harder to try to pull the air through. So changing out that filter and checking it every month is a very important thing to do. Another thing to keep in mind in, in your home is freezers and refrigerators, especially if you have extra refrigerators and freezers that you don't have inside conditioned space. Uh, you need to be careful of that because units cost a lot more to work in the garage, to run them. 
you want to check the seals on your refrigerator and freezer to make sure they're not leaking, you don't have any moisture buildup around the seal, which will really indicate, like here, that there's uh, possibly a problem with the seal. Checking for mold and mildew is a really good indicator. Another thing is, is you have to remember that underneath most refrigerators, or in the back of some, there are coils that expel the heat from the refrigerator. And those need to be cleaned once every six months or so. If you've got a lot of pets in the house, you may need to do it once a quarter because all the fur clogs up the coils and then the unit cannot expel the heat. What's the easiest way to clean the coils? Well, um, one of the easiest ways is there's a small plate usually on the front of units and this plate comes off. You have to be very gentle with it. Um, and the coils you need to clean are up underneath. But before you do that, remember you want to unplug the refrigerator so that nothing turns on while you're under there. All right. And you just use a vacuum? or You can use a vacuum. There are specialized lint brushes for cleaning underneath refrigerators that are real long brushes to get all the way to the back of the coils. Okay, another good thing to check in the house is items in your attic. Well, what do we have in your attic? We've got insulation and ductwork. Okay. With your insulation, you want to make sure you have insulation over your whole house. Um, and also that it's a consistent depth. Okay? You don't want it to be this deep in some sections and this deep in others. Uh, compressed insulation doesn't do a whole lot for your house. So if you've got items that are depressing the insulation, it's lowering its ability to do its job. So you want a, a good, consistent depth across the attic. Uh, another thing you want to look at is your ductwork. Okay? the bright silvery flex duct that runs through your attic or the insulated metal solid ducts. Okay? Um, with those, you want to check for leaks or damage to the ductwork. Damage to the ductwork can be anything from where squirrels have been chewing on it and have poked a hole right through the side of the, to the vent or where they've pulled the insulation off of the ductwork. Okay? Two important things to look at. Um, another thing is the leaks that we were talking about. Okay? Duct leaks in an attic can seriously impact your home. Not only can they bring in debris from the attic, dust, insects, anything else that may be up there, but also duct leaks can work in reverse and they will be air conditioning your attic or heating your attic and you don't want to do that. So what you want to do is you want to check all the intersections of the ductwork, any place where there's tape or a join where a larger duct meets a smaller one or where the little small subducts meet the vent boots or where the vent boots meet the ceiling. All those places need to be checked for leaks. So what's a good way to investigate the joints? Just visually or can you feel it or is there moisture? Or? Oh look, there's a duct leak. <laughs> yes, um, honestly just your hands are a really good sensor for that. You can, if you're going to do it on your own that's a good way to do it. If you want to have it professionally done there are people here in town that can uh, pre perform certain tests on your duct system involving pressurizing the duct system and then being able to very easily find the, the leaks in the attic. So when's the last time you've been in your attic? It's important to check your insulation and your duct work. Now, if you find leaky ducts, use foil tape. Never use duct tape. It just doesn't work. Alright, let's see what we can find up here. Check for leaks in your ducts. Once you find leaks, use approved foil tape to fix them. There, that should do it.
Okay, so this is another part of your air conditioning system, and if you have a heat pump part of your heating system, this is the condenser unit. There's a few things you want to look at with your condenser unit. You want to make sure that it's, you know, relatively level, that you don't have plants growing up against the, the unit that reduces its efficiency. Another thing you want to look at is if you're looking at your unit itself, um, it may look like this. You may only see the very small, thin fins, okay? You want to make sure those fins aren't damaged, that the coils behind them aren't damaged, and that overall the unit looks pretty, pretty good, relatively free of debris, okay? And then you want to look at down here, this is the line that carries the coolant between the, the interior unit and the exterior unit. It's a good idea for efficiency's sake to have this unit insulated. It'll really help with the efficiency of the unit, okay? Let's go check the meters. So what we have here is your electric meter, all right? What you want to do is, if you haven't learned how to read it already, by all means, learn how to read it. It will help you possibly in controlling some of your electrical use. It will also help you know what some of your appliances, when they kick on, are really your big energy users in the house. So reading your meter is a relatively simple thing to do. What you want to do is you want to start here, and you want to read the lowest number of the two. For example, this one's between the five and the six, so the reading number would be five. Okay, so what we're looking at here is five, five, two, because it's between the two and the three, five, because it's just past the five, between the five and the six, and if you're worried about a number like that, you read the next dial down, okay? Because this one has obviously gone past the zero, this one is past five. So then it becomes five, five, two, five, two. Okay, so here we have our water meter, okay? There's two ways to access the water meter. There's a little lid here that'll let you see the face of the water meter, and you can also pull the meter cover off, and inside you'll find the meter. There'll be a little lid, a cover for your water meter, oh, and wildlife, and what you want to do is you want to gently clean away the dirt from the lens, because you don't want to risk scratching the lens, and check the meter. There's a small triangle somewhere on the face of the meter that you're wanting to look at to see whether or not you have any leaks. If this is turning, you have water going through the meter. And if you're sure everything is off in the house, that means you may want to start looking for some kind of leak. All right, so one of the things we want to look at with the vents is that you don't have any of your vents completely closed. See how this is all closed flat? You get moisture buildup on the vents. You can get moisture buildup along the ceiling, okay, which can possibly damage your drywall. And also, your house is constructed so that the entire home is air conditioned or heated at the same time. So if you shut any room off, that means the other rooms need to try and cool that space through the walls, through the doors, and still through the vents like it was originally constructed for. So remember, don't ever completely close your vents. Amy sat down with Rose, and she mentioned that the best way a Florida homeowner can save money is by setting the thermostat at 78 or higher during the summer and 68 or lower during the winter. 
This simple behavior change can save lots of money. Almost every house has sun shining on it. Why not capture this energy and heat up your water? Um, when we invested in this house, we decided to make the additional investment to get the solar hot water system for two reasons. One is the upfront tax credits and the rebates, and second, just as an investment in the house itself, uh, saved the environmental purposes as well as uh, for resale value. We thought it would add some value added to the, to the future owners. The initial investment is a bit higher than a traditional water heater, but with federal, state, and local utility rebates, plus the monthly savings on utility bills, the break-even point for such an investment is five to seven years. Some of the benefits, of course, to the homeowner are the environmental benefits because we have no pollution being created by using solar hot water. Um, there's financial incentives, especially for families, because your the portion of your utility bill can be about 25% hot water. So you can save, you know, approximately 25% off your utility bill by converting to solar hot water. A solar water heater is one option for a homeowner. However, utility companies are also exploring renewable energy options such as wind, solar, and even methane gas recovered from landfills. Many utilities have programs where customers can purchase power from renewable sources. Costing a bit more, such support from consumers help utility companies to explore renewable options. The next time you flip on a switch, think about purchasing electricity from renewable power sources. We interviewed a utility rep and asked about rebates offered by utility companies. The reason why utility companies uh, are concerned about energy conservation, one, it's the right thing to do, but two, um, if we can help uh, encourage customers to save energy on their end, it'll help us to defer construction on our end and uh, allow the generation that we do have to go further. It'll also keep us from having to turn on more expensive plants during the end of the day when, when uh, everybody's turning on their air conditioner we have to turn on more and more expensive uh, what we call peak load uh, generators to, to help that load to actually serve it. Each utility company offers several different types of rebates for consumers. They cover things like installing energy efficient appliances or insulating your home. Uh, GRU's rebate program actually started with a natural gas rebate back in 1984. We started uh, having rebates with uh, natural gas water heaters, natural gas furnaces. And that progressed into uh, an electric rebate program, which started back in 2005. That, the electric portion of the rebates uh, were an element of our integrated resource plan, which is how we were going to meet our future uh, capacity requirements going out into the future here in Gainesville, uh, where we have a program for uh, air conditioning maintenance, replacement of uh, central air conditioners, replacement of room air conditioners, and uh, we also have one for uh, duct leak repair. Rebates and tax breaks can be found for many purchases and actions to update a home. The first thing to do? Check with your local utility company to determine which rebates and tax breaks are available to you. Your home can become more energy efficient. It just takes some investigating 
And once you find out what you need, a little shopping. Okay, let's do some shopping to save energy. Many items in the store have tax credits or rebates associated with them. Replace your old appliances with new energy efficient ones, just like this washer. Now look for the energy guide and in particular, look for the Energy Star label. You can replace your fridge with a new energy efficient one. Update your electric water heater to a more efficient natural gas one. And get these compact fluorescent bulbs to replace all your incandescent bulbs. To seal those ducts, remember foil tape, the shiny stuff, not duct tape. Add insulation to your attic. It's really easy with this blow-in insulation. Plus, you can do many things in your home to earn rebates and tax credits. Check your windows and doors for air leaks. It may be time to seal them. Keeping your home airtight is a great way to conserve energy. When's the last time you had your AC unit serviced? Having it professionally cleaned and inspected will save you lots of money. In fact, if you have an older model, updating it to a more energy efficient one will save you lots on your utility bill. All of the examples mentioned in this program will help you save energy at home. Remember, ask about energy saving features of a home before purchasing. If you currently have a home, make it more energy efficient. To get started, contact your local utility for ideas and learn about ways to save money while updating your home. Even with the most energy efficient home, the best thing one can do is simply turn stuff off. When you leave the house, turn up the thermostat. When you leave a room, turn off the lights. For every one degree that you adjust your thermostat, you save 4% or more on your energy bill. For more information, visit the Living Green website and also contact your local county extension office. That's it for this episode of Living Green. A lot can be done to make your home more energy efficient. Spread the word. Major support for this program was provided by these organizations. If you dream of working in a dynamic team environment where you'll be trusted, empowered, appreciated, and motivated, then Broward County is the employer for you. 60 different agencies, from recycling to buses, communications technology to highway and bridge maintenance, purchasing to small business development, libraries to elderly and veteran services, whatever your interest or passion, you can find it here. We're looking for innovative and enthusiastic team members, fresh ideas and a desire to serve. And we have a lot to offer the right candidate. 
I love the job stability and the opportunities to grow. Work in an atmosphere of respect and trust with plenty of room to grow. The county has been a wonderful place to grow professionally, to also develop lifelong friendships, mentorships. I was at the beginning the mentee and now I'm 25 years later almost, I'm the mentor. It has been a, a place that has been nurturing and uh, extremely, extremely good to me professionally. Many of our employees, like Natasha and Selena, started with Broward County right out of high school. I was a public service intern from the class of 1990, the first class, two weeks after high school graduation. And here I am, almost 25 years later, the director of administration in one of the county's major economic engines. That's what can happen for someone who wants to make a career in public service in Broward County. Work with like-minded people passionate about achieving success for the county, its residents, its visitors, and business owners. Whether you're looking for an entry-level position or one in upper management, Broward County Careers has something for everyone. It's very gratifying going to work knowing that you're working with good people. Number one, um, with the people that you work immediately with, your supervisors and all, and uh, your immediate group as a team. I am very, very grateful for the opportunity that I've had. Broward County has given me a chance to be able to blossom professionally, and I encourage anyone who would like to have a career in public service to come and try us out. Here's your chance to join a great team, have job stability and great benefits, make lifelong friendships, and work in a state with no income taxes, and a county with a diverse population, beautiful beaches, lots of shopping, plenty of culture, and where the sun shines practically all year round. And once you've joined our team, there's plenty of help and support along the way. The onboarding system that I did a year ago, um, it was it was very thorough. We They, they started from step one and there was a, quite a few follow-ups over the, the first 90 days into the, and on into the year. Well, now that you've discovered the many opportunities Broward County has to offer, we've made it very easy to apply for a position. Just go to our careers website, find the job you're interested in, create your profile, and apply. The county's new and improved online recruitment system streamlines the entire process. So take the opportunity to make a difference and join our team by logging on to our careers website now. And good luck.
Five. We got five. Okay. We have five commissioners and we're calling this meeting back to order. The next item on our agenda is item number 72, which is a motion to approve the agreement between the Broward County and, the, and Robert Melton for employment as a Broward County auditor. Commissioners, is there any discussion on this item? Well, can you get on to the dais so that you can speak, please? That was over with. We're waiting. Okay. I want to make sure we have the dozens of people that are watching this. Um, um, you ready? Let's work to number 72. I, I wanted to spend a couple hours uh, talking about this, but uh, my questions are answered. I'm ready to move it. Do you have it. a second on item 72, please? Do I have a second? second? All those in favor of item 72, aye. signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Okay, let the record show that that passes. One, two, three, four, five, six of us. Thank you. All right, next item is item number 73 and uh, Seven. 74, 75. We're going to take them all together. Yes. You may do that. I was just saying there were seven votes. Where? Oh, Commissioner. Commissioner Ryan walked in, and you didn't count him. I think he's going to be upset. I'll get over. Minute Secretary, can you let the record reflect that there were seven of us on the dais instead of six, please? Thank you so much. All right. Chip Lamarca wasn't here, and neither was Dale Holness. <laughs> where, where is Commissioner Holness? Okay, so at this point in time, Commissioner Bogan, your items are up. We were going to take just in, um, in the um, uh, effort to move it along in terms of time. Um, Mr. Russell Rand signed up for two of your items. So, Mr. Rand, we're going to take them all together. Can, can you force him to take that hat off? No. I, I, I just can't. That Mr. Hat Rand, can you me, come Mr. up Rand. to the podium, please? So you had put in a request for <laughs> 74 and 75. We're taking them all together. So I'm going to give you your time to speak now on both items, okay? Mr. Rand, are you sure you want that hat on? Two. I'm having fun with them. Auditing the departments, uh, or auditing. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I spoke to the Charter Review. I s the issue was whether there was a stronger whistleblower protection, whether accountability or ethics, which I don't think there is in here. And they created a weak mayor form, and they elevated the county accountant <laughs> to an auditor as if an accountant can produce accountability, and that's not so. As former Commissioner Jacobs said, 80% uh, of uh, stats are made up on the spot, and every scientist knows it's 112.37 that are made up on the spot. Um, five years before that, 20 years ago, I pointed out the cronyism, which is a violation of Florida Statute 112, uh, and why this person with a high school diploma was assistant department director. Well, that led to the mismanagement, the waste of time, taxpayer, and the project, fraud. That's why I'm here. Um, among other things, she had a, a goal to audit the petty cash. So I think she came up a dollar short and threw in a dollar and got a $5,000 bonus for it. Um, an auditor or an accountant only follows the cash flow. So it's beans and boxes like science. It doesn't tell you what's re really going on. And it could be helicopters or whatever. If you're just following the money, don't go there. Uh, you don't get it. You don't. You don't get a good good idea of what's going on and all. But insiders actually know what's going on and all. I always fantasize 
you know, wouldn't it be nice to pay bonuses and rewards to people who point out the wrongdoing and who connected the dots and pointed out the cronyism and all in order to shrink the system down because it's chock full of, of stuff and it's mice or rats moving the cheese and the denial of honest services which erodes the public trust. And that's why I'm here. But I'm solution-oriented. Thank you. Not just problems. Well, I'd like to point out for the record, I'm not a weak mayor. <laughs> My kids would disagree with you on that, Mr. Brand. <laughs> I'm sorry, woman power rocks. Um, no, he does not have two things to talk about. I just gave him his two minutes. Now you have three things to talk about, sir. So, 73, 74, and 75. <sighs> Your mic. Sorry. That's okay. You got it. After the auditor did their audit of the CVB and, and found problems, I had a couple questions. First question to the auditor. Why did it take Stacy Ritter uh, to get the auditor's office for the past 17 years to do a full comprehensive audit of the CVB? I understand there's been spot audits, but why did it take Stacy Ritter um, the person to be asking for a full and comprehensive audit. Uh, Commissioner Bogan, we um, do audits based on our risk assessment. And our risk assessment uh, states that we, we audit um, high-risk areas. Um, while we were auditing CBB, we, it wasn't really a comprehensive audit because there are certain aspects of the CBB, CBB that we did not audit. But um, we did a, a full review of CBB and, and um, Evan was the one that basically um, he was directing what we audit and when we audit and he was ultimately responsible for letting us know what. So a, a part of your answer would be, I don't know why Evan didn't do this type of audit. Is that a correct statement? I guess that would be the statement. Okay, second thing you said, we do audits based on risk assessment. Uh, the second thing you said, we do... It's so, based on a risk assessment also, and then some, he will direct other audits, so it depends on what we came up as a group to audit. I, I understand that, but, but based on what you're telling me, what your criteria is to do audits, obviously you found some pretty big problems with the CVB, so um, whatever your criteria is, don't you think that your criteria may be a little off since you never... And you never did an audit like that before. That's what you told me when we met, right? right? And you never did an audit like that before. And the only reason you did it now, not you, but you know when Evan was here, did it initiate it was because Stacy Ritter. So um, is it possible then maybe the criteria in which you're basing of what you're going to do might be needed to be tweaked? Not necessarily, um, because I think that what we did and what we audited was. Um, even though she asked us to go in, we would have audited um, certain areas of that anyway. But um, well, you haven't done it in 17 years, so why are you telling me now that it might have been, you would have gotten to it? We've what? audited different processes over the CVB. I like can't hear you. What? We've audited different processes at the CVB. We audited SMG, which is our main contract at the Convention Center. We've audited payroll processing. We've audited procurement. Um, okay, so the, I'm, to I'm sorry to interrupt you, Kathy. The answer, uh, please, is. Do you have any reason to know why Evan didn't do this audit besides St Stacy asking? And I guess your answer is you don't know. I don't know, and it was it's, okay. okay. Um, I think, um, and, and Bertha, you could help me out here. So, um, 
the county attorney reports to the commission and the auditor reports to the commission, right? So we always hear when the county attorney is doing on cases and stuff. Um, I never know, this is my third year, I never know what you guys are auditing, what you plan to audit, and I think it's important that maybe we get calendars on what you're doing. I have no clue if we're, you're supposed to report to us. I cer certainly I see on the agenda you did an audit, and today actually you made recommendations on something. Right. But um, I would appreciate, I don't know if my fellow commissioners want, but I think it's good as since you do report to us, that we get a report, not just an audit that was done, recommendations, but what you're doing, what the office is doing. Does that make sense? We do have an internal audit plan, but we'll make it, um, given, we'll give it to the commissioners at the next board meeting after the, after the um, not the next board meeting, after the break, we'll give it to you once I meet with the new auditor and we'll get together and, and okay. move on to the board. And last but not least, um, so your, your job, my understanding, is to make sure the taxpayer money is properly spent and that there's proper controls in place, correct? Yes. Okay. So after you give recommendations year after year, month after month, how, do you, who in your office goes back to see that those are being implemented? Commissioner Bogan, um, we, uh, we have only done six um, follow-up reviews in the past two and a half years based on what I sent to you. We don't have somebody in specific to go back and, and audit year after year what has been done in, the, uh, in our past audits. However, we do it from time to time depending on the, um, the, what we found and what we feel that should be followed upon. But we don't have someone specific in our office to do that. So you make recommendations to put controls in place, because I mean, Commissioner Dean's always talking about, you know, today talking about taxpayer money and how it should be spent. You put, you make recommendations on how to put controls in place for the taxpayer money, how it should be spent, contracts, all that, correct? Right. But after your recommendations are given, you, you don't have anybody behind you following up, making sure those were done. Once, once recommendation, recommendations are given, it is the responsibility of county, uh, the county administrator and her staff to implement those recommendations. And um, we would sometimes, as I said, we only did six in the past two and a half years that would go back and, and look and see whether those recommendations were implemented and then we would um, write another review and see whether they were implemented or not. Okay, so we have not, we only have done six in the past. We do not have the resources. We do have um, 15 people. We don't have someone specific to do this. Com uh, County Administrator, just out of curiosity, is there somebody in your administration that is responsible for following up, making sure that what they recommend, if we agree to it, I assume we agree to it, is followed up and uh, yes. implemented? Yes, the department head that, that was audited. They're the ones that are responsible for following up? Making yes. sure it's implemented. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. I got one more question and I'm done. Sorry, guys. Um, so after doing this, I'll call it a comprehensive audit of the CVB. Tell me, um, let's talk about how many departments, uh, what's the total number of departments the county has? You know? Anybody here know? There's an organization. Over 60. Okay. How many, what's the number of departments we have here? Over 60. So we have about eight major departments and then we have offices. So you, uh, and depending upon how you, what okay. you're referring to, I'd okay. say around Is the CVB 20. considered a department? Yes. Okay. It's an office. So, it's an office. So besides the CVB, how many of the departments has your office audited on a full and comprehensive basis? Not spot, not based on risk assessment. How many have you done a full comprehensive audit of, to your knowledge? 
we have not done a full comprehensive uh, audit of any division because um, based on government auditing standards, that's not a good use of our, our limited resources. We, government audit standards require that we look at high-risk areas, and I, that's how we develop our audit plan, and that's how we go about doing our audits. So no, we have not done a full and comprehensive review, and I don't think CV was a full and comprehensive review, but. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying, but it, obviously, the, what you did with the CVB shows that there's more of a need of things that need to be done because of everything you found with the CVB. And they never did it for 17 years, or however many years, so you, you're making sense of what you're saying, but it doesn't connect because what failed with the CVB is, not, is also failing with your seven other departments that you're supposed to be auditing. So you're saying we audit based on risk assessment, but that criteria, you never would have done what you did unless Stacey Ritter asked Evan to do it. So I'm just trying to figure out, oh, uh, you know, that the criteria that is being used by your office, uh, I, it might be problematic. Pardon me? I will go back and review the criteria when we, when the new auditor comes in, we'll go back and review it and we'll... Um, put it in our audit plan and, and bring it to the board. Yeah. So, somebody told me that to, to audit um, a tired apartment by your office would take years. And then I asked you uh, personally, is it fair to say depending on the size of the department? Totally. It, it depends on the size. It, it, to audit transit is different than auditing CVB or to audit human services on total. Right. Totally so different. is it fair to say it could take from six months to a year depending on the size? Or probably longer depending on the size. Sure. Okay. Well, you told me when we met six months to a year. Uh, okay. So as we sit here today, right now, uh, not any of the other seven departments have been audited, as you just said, in a full and comprehensive manner as we've done with the CVB. That's not... And, not I'm she's, sorry? She's saying that the CVB audit wasn't a full and comprehensive Inside. audit, and that's why you and you keep saying that. She keeps saying no. Well, oh. if it's not a full and comprehensive audit, what are we missing that you've done already from the CVB? We, we did not audit. We audited the SMG um, contract that's over at the convention center before. Um, that was not included. I didn't ask what you did. What did you not do? Right. Oh. Um, like, for example, I didn't look at payroll. I, I looked at the bonuses, but I didn't totally look at payroll. Why? Because payroll is more of a, we look at that on a comprehensive overall county level, not necessarily on a CVB because the controls are in the payroll division. But you saw irregularities in CVB with commissions and other things. Why wouldn't you yeah, look at payroll? We did look at that because that was is a separate. Um, that Commissioner, was a, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrating you, but I, I would like to just ask some questions. Regular payroll comes under uh, the payroll division. Uh, this, the, the, the bonuses was um, specifically done by the president there, and it was sent over to Human Resources. It was a different process they used okay. to do the bonuses as they than they used to do regular payroll. So that's the reason why we looked at bonuses and not payroll, because payroll is under the payroll department, which is a normal process, and controls are in place. I, I guess you know. I guess my last comment is that uh, um, I think we got a problem with the criteria being used by the audit department. I think it's proven because nothing has been done for 17 years on one department. So what are we missing on seven other departments if maybe not? But I think that there's an issue because you found a lot of stuff that has never been audited based on your criteria. So we have a problem and that's all I think we have a job to do is to make sure that's somehow corrected and, um, and, and uh, Commissioner Rich, I'm sorry, I I'm, I'm, don't mean to be on a direct examination, but I'm just trying to get answers. 
Anyway, Commissioner Bilton, uh, we yeah. will revisit our criteria, our risk assessment, and during our maybe uh, give you the reports of our audit plan. We will bring that to. You. We'll write that in our audit plan. Okay, and thank you. Okay, so at this time, I, I put myself in queue first, and then I have Commissioner Hollis to follow me. So the first thing that I'm going to say in regards to um, this particular line of questioning and, and, and Mrs. Um, Hewlett, when you um, began auditing in our Broward County Department, can you tell me how many years ago that was? 13 years ago. Okay. And 13 years ago when you came in and you started auditing in the department, how many people were in that department that were doing audits um, in the entire county? Uh, we had a budget of 20 people. Okay. And right now we do have 17. And they're responsible for audits internally as well as the audits on the pro procurement contracts as well as vendors? Yeah, we, we audit internally and vendors and anything else that... And we also, in our division, we do um, uh, advisory services, which is reviewing agenda and um, looking at going to negotiation meetings and things like that. So we do a vast array of things. And how much time does that take from your auditing schedule for the 20 people to do that? Um, we spend 27%, I think 30% of our time on advisory services, 60%, I think, on, on regular auditing. So we spend around 20 to 30% of our time. And would you say that if you were to do a complete and comprehensive audit of eight additional county agency departments that you would need more staff to do that? Definitely, I would need more staff to do that. Okay, and the, and the reason why I asked that question of you is Thank because you. I have the floor. The reason why I asked that question of you is because I want people to understand the scope of what you do. You're not just sitting around auditing county departments. You're auditing contracts, you're auditing vendors, you're auditing the, the performance of those contracts, and you're auditing the, the way that they build those contracts and to keep um, to make sure that the integrity is there in terms of um, following through on the procurement process and, and, and the protocols for billing those, right? Yes. Okay, and so when you do that, and, and you spend that amount of time doing that, um, and you have to prioritize, high-risk areas are considered what? The major priority. I definitely want to. What are high risk areas? High risk are those with um, a lot dollar amounts, high dollar amounts. Those with um, we have issues before. Um, those with, um, for example, aviation departments, the port departments. Those with um, that you have to deal with the public and wastewater. Those are the high risk, mainly high risk areas that we do have here. And you've, and you've been auditing those departments on a regular basis? And we do have two staff that is directed to audit aviation and the AAP projects. Okay. And so when you considered departments at high risk, did you consider the CVB a department of high risk? Actually, CVB is on our third quartile of four, um, and so therefore that's why they were not chosen to be audited, as in totally like that. And so when you return with that report back to um, Commissioner Bogan, uh, can you please outline all of that in there so that he can um, know exactly what it is that your personnel is being expended to do? Okay. And then also, and as a follow-up to that, if you could, it please um, 
elaborate on how many other auditors you would need to perform what he's asking, which is a comprehensive audit of eight other departments in the county. So just give an estimate of how many other bodies you would need. I think that that would put this in perspective for everybody sitting up here on this dais. Okay, I'll get that together. And the dollar amount that it would cost. Thank you. Commissioner Holness. Thank you very much. Uh, Ms. Hill, how long have you served as the interim? Uh, uh, three months, going on four. And prior to that, you didn't run this department, did you? No, I did not. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think what we, we need to look at is we didn't move you up to be the director for this department. We brought someone else in. But yet today it seems as if we're treat, treating you as you were the person running this and you're going to be one running it in the f future. And I think you've handled yourself very well in not shirking your responsibilities but taking it on and, and, and uh, really showing us uh, the level of the depth that you have in terms of understanding uh, the work that's being done and how it's being done. Uh, and, and, and while I'm here, let me segment the segue a little bit to the fact that I'd love to see us look in the future to see how we can put plans in place to move people up who are in, up in, in positions now uh, so that we have some sort of plan uh, for, 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 for folks who knows what's going on. And, and, and yes, we have people that comes in sometime, and sometimes we have to. But I believe we ought to build the bench, so to speak, so that we can move people from inside who understand all the processes. You bring someone in from outside and, and, or contracting or practices, they're going to have to learn all of that stuff. And, and rely on the, on the current staff. And, and I hope you're around to help because I, I think that the depth of knowledge and, and understanding and your work ethic certainly shows that you're capable of doing the work that needs to be done. Uh, let me go on and ask a couple of questions. Uh, you also review the RFQ and RF, RLIs and, 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 th and those sort of stuff uh, oftentimes, especially on items that are unusual. Am I correct? Um, we attend negotiation meetings and we do when it comes to the board's agenda, the um, RFPs and the RLIs, when they come to the board's agenda, we do review them uh, as, part of our, as part of our agenda review. And that's an ongoing process where you look to see that we're complying with uh, what our ordinances are and our practices are to ensure that we're complying when we do these things. Um, I, we look mainly on where it relates to our audit language and financial uh, disclosure there. Um, the county attorneys would look more on the ordinances and the practices there, and if we have any questions, we always uh, go and talk to the county attorney or her staff. Yeah, but since I've been here, I've seen you guys come in and talk about uh, the financial side and the... Yeah, we and, do, and, and, and we are also the contract administrator for the external audit, okay. and um, we do that too. All right. Uh, <clears throat> and, and the question as to what happens when you bring recommendation forward. I've been here six and a half years now, and I've seen countless time when the auditor's department come up with recommendation that we, the board, vote on, that there's a, the county administrator's office will bring us back report as to what's being done. 
timelines that are put in place to ensure that these things are being done. In fact, oftentimes coming along with the audit report that you bring are statements from our county administrator as to what they've already implemented and what corrective actions they have already taken uh, as a pro part of uh, your process. So I, I, I do believe there's some follow-up. Maybe we ought to look to see if you follow up some more. Uh, after that, I, 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 again, I think the job that's being done in terms of auditing every department and audit what you do, we're going to have to put a lot more people in place, I believe, if we want to audit every single department uh, on, on a continuous basis. Uh, is that going to be the best use of taxpayers' dollars to, to look at stuff that you probably already see and know that the process and the systems in place that will be able to uh, function well where you don't have to go in depth? I, I don't think you auditing every department in depth and a comprehensive review is the best use of taxpayers' dollars. I think doing it as a risk assessment, doing, looking at our risk assessment, auditing the high-risk areas would be the best use of our tax. And that's how it's done in almost every audit shop, that um, you look at the high-risk areas and you audit from there. If there's something specific that a commissioner wants us to look at, they can always ask us to look at. Or may have talked about when you come back to make an assessment as to the additional amount of staff and that would be needed in order to do this and and, and and that was part of what I would recommend is that we look to see how much more staff in your need how much more it'll cost us but as you're doing that let me ask you also to look at how our salary uh, compares to other audit shop including yours uh, and, and how we compare in terms of our, or, or what we pay our folks uh, and what we're, our expectations are of them. Uh, so that would be one thing that I'd ask that you bring back uh, with that also as we go forward. Okay, well, I will do that. Thank you. Commissioner um, Geller. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I'll be, uh, hopefully I'll be brief. A couple of quick questions. Um, if we were to audit, if you know the answers to these, if we were to audit every agency, department, office of Broward County on, let's say, a three-year rotating basis, can you tell me the number of, in addition to the other issues that you have to deal with, can you tell me how many staff members you would need if you know, approximately? Commissioner Geller, I would have to get back with you on that one, too. Do you have an idea of, you know, I know you're not going to say it's 37, but can you tell us if it's, you currently have 17, wouldn't you need 30 or 130 or 300? Oh. Uh, can you give us just an approximation? I, I would be guessing. and I would Okay, and you don't want to guess. I, I really would not want okay. to guess. I prefer to bring that back to you when I bring back all the other Thank questions you. to all the commissioners. Thank you. Second, second question is, are there standards that for National Association of Counties, for Florida Association of Counties, for League of Cities, for are there generally accepted audit standards for local governments and you know on what age what agencies departments should be audited well, and are we following those standards? We are we are governed by the, the yellow book. It's called government auditing standards, and there it's also based on a risk-based approach. And we are following most of it, so there are standards that we do follow. Yeah. Okay. Last question: um, 
in terms of, and I, I don't know the answer to this, a lawyer should never ask a question they don't know the answer to, but I'm just seeking information, so. Right, uh, yeah, I'm always a lawyer. Um, it's bred into us. Um, the, um, in terms of doing an audit, I think Commissioner Bogan has a good idea on our knowing in a, you know, the list, but unless that would be counterproductive, is there any reason why we would not want to disclose who we're going to audit so that we can come in and do audits so people don't have time to clean yeah, the books or there, something? Or There are some audits that I would not disclose, which are like um, surprise audits, for example, cash audits if I'm going to go look at a cash room or something like that. Um, and there, so therefore, and there are other audits that we probably would not disclose because it's probably too sensitive in nature, or maybe something to do with IT okay. in nature. But yeah, there, there are other things okay. that we probably would well, not Well, what I would ask then is that when you respond to Commissioner Bogan and, and give us the list of audits, which I think is a good idea, that of course you're, you, you clarify that with, by saying, and of course, each of the scheduled ones, okay. and maybe others. And the last comment is, Commissioner Bogan, I think you've raised some very good, important questions. I just think you're raising them to the wrong person. I think that you should be raising these questions as the new auditor comes in. You could have raised them to Evan. He's not here. I think if these are questions that you should be raising to the new auditor as opposed to someone who's just been an interim. It's okay. She's okay. she's been here. She's good. She can handle yeah. herself. She can handle herself. Um, the new auditor but, but, but is want, going to be privy. He's right. going to have the main minutes of this agenda, yeah. and I'm certain that Miss Ulett is going to go back and discuss I this understand. with him. I'm just saying, if he's asking for changes okay. in the future, they should be asked of the person who's going to be in charge in the future. Right. Well, so we're going to bring it back. Definitely, we're going to answer everybody's questions, and Miss um, Ulett will have time to work with our new auditor and um, bring that back to us. And I think she does a fine job, and I think she can handle it, Commissioner Geller. Okay, Commissioner Udine. Just to add something to what Commissioner Holmes mentioned, we didn't actually select really the new auditor. That's kind of hoisted upon <laughs> us by the charter, because I agree with you, building the bench is an important thing. And, right. There's a process in place for selecting a new auditor that's laid out in the charter. As to what can be audited by the auditor is also kind of laid out in the charter if you want to. My whole, my whole um, concern, and I, I think it's better to do spot check high-risk audits. I think it's a more cost-effective way to do it. I think each audit should come like they do with management's complete response, and that's the follow-up which then it's out of the auditor's hands and it's in management's hands to make sure management is following up. So most people can sit, we could sit here and we could probably discuss where we think all the issues would be throughout the county, but a lot of this has to have the element of surprise to come in to make the audit worthwhile. I sit on a regulated board and we, we're audited every quarter in every department. It's a colossal waste of money. It's putting business, small businesses out of business we wouldn't, what does it cost to do a complete audit on an enterprise like the airport? That's got to be, if, you, if we said to you we want you to, to audit the airport, you're talking about a multi-million dollar audit that we would have to have. So we have to be careful. As long as management is responding to the issues that are being brought up, as we do spot checks throughout the department, I think that that would satisfy what I need. I also um, want to make sure that like you do and like you've done in the past, all the commissioners should get responses 
to the audits at the same time. So if an audit request is made by any of the commissioners, like you, yeah, and I know you sure. do that, do. it should come back to everybody. Because I actually, I make it my practice, because we do this in the private sector on the board I'm on, whether we have a question with the auditor or not, that's why I always like to meet with you when you have something on the agenda. Even if I don't have a question, just the process of having that meeting, even if I say to you I have no questions, you should always know that I'm meeting with you on an audit, just like in, on, on another board, so that I can ask questions of you without management and without anybody else hearing, so I can get the okay. details. Those are my comments. Thank you. Um, last person in queue is Commissioner Bogan. Okay. Um, Kathy, first of all, you know this is not at you personally. You know that, right? And because Commissioner Holness said that you're capable of doing your work and your job, and I, I, you know, I don't mean this at you at all. Actually, I meant it at who well, I was talking about, Evan. I'm just—I think you're the appropriate one. With all due respect to Commissioner Geller, the new person would not be the person to talk to because he doesn't know the historical background. And and hopefully, Kathy, for 13 years, all I'm trying to do is get the historical background. Um, while I do agree with Commissioner Dean that spot check of high risk is appropriate, most cost effective. My whole point is, is that the criteria that you use for whatever is determined high risk, I believe has been proven wrong based on what was found with the CVB audit because that was never considered a high risk area because it wasn't done for 17 years. And, and, and the second thing is I'm not talking about doing a full audit of every department. Let's go do a full audit right now of every department. As, as Commissioner Holness was pointing out, we need, about needing more staff to do a full audit. I think that we need to do something to realize what, learn from the past, and, and maybe you do need more staff, because we have so much money in this county, and, and I think the protecting of our money and making sure that there's proper processes and procedures and things are followed, I think that is, is really very important. And if we were a small little town, I understand, but we're not. And, and I, I would look to you to come to us and say, I need more staff. Because I could do a couple spot audits, we could do spot audits, we got contracts. As it was pointed out, we've got so much for your office to do. Maybe we need, maybe you need more staff to be more efficient, make the county more efficient. Okay. That's all I'm looking for. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so I need to re rephrase the request then because initially you said you wanted her to um, consider doing a comprehensive audit of all eight departments, which that's what my understanding was. That's why I asked her for the staff. So I did not ask her that. I asked her, I asked her when was so the last time a comprehensive audit was done of the okay. full department? She said it was never done. Uh, okay, so at this point in time, Ms. Hewlett, you can bring us back what it would cost to do um, the comprehensive audits of the eight departments as well as partial audits of things that you think might yield um, some change in policy or the way that we're doing things. And I guess you can bring us back those two items because um, I think that that would cover everybody's questions here and we could move past these items. If I might just add one item, I think where Commissioner Bogan wants to go is we have the new auditor that's coming on board in a couple of weeks and, and he's spoken about um, having a review of all of our auditing procedures and prioritizing and, and reevaluating processes and procedures. So. Once he does that, I think we would ask the new auditor whether he feels that the current staff of 15 or 17 is sufficient. If not, how many, how many more additional staff persons he needs so that as we go through the budget process, if we have to make some adjustments to ensure that we're getting uh, 
comprehensive and, and auditing done, which is the best bang for the buck, okay. will do so. All right. So, Mayor Ryan, uh, like I said before, we're going to answer every question from this dais that was posed to Ms. Ulett, who is the interim auditor. At that time, when Ms. Ulett brings back that item, she will have discussed it with our incoming auditor. He will be able to make whatever determinations he needs to make. That's where we're going from here. And we are now disposing of items 73, 74, and 75. Thank you. Okay. So the next item on our agenda is item number 82, which is a resolution required by Broward County Metropolitan Planning Organization for Broward Signal System Upgrades Project Ranking List on fiscal year 2018-2019. His item was asked to be left on regular by Vice Mayor Fur. Vice Mayor Fur. Just real quick, I, this was, um, the MPO has a long list of um, items that are prioritized. This was way down the list. And while the MPO meeting was going on, we asked why was it so far down the list. And, and, it, and it was really a very simple, not simple, but it, it needed some extra resources from county to bring it up to the top of the list. And I want to thank Tim Garling for, he was at the meeting. I had a chance to talk with him about it, and I, and I understand you brought it to the administrator. And I'm appreciative that it's on here. I think this, I think it's going to get full, it will have full support from the MPO. Uh, in fact, I don't even think it's going to be at the top of the list. I think it's going to be off the list now because it's going to get done. But this has a chance for the things that all the cities and the county want to see, see done, which is uh, revamping our signalization. This is something that I think everybody, every city wants to see done, and this is going to give it a chance to have the resources to do it. So thank you, Tim, for bringing, for bringing that to our administrator, and thank you, uh, Bertha, for putting it on the agenda and uh, finding the resources for it. And with that, I'll make a motion to approve. Okay. So I have a queue going. I've got Commissioner Ryan followed by Commissioner Holness. Commissioner Ryan. I'm glad that this um, this item was pulled, and I uh, thank you, Vice Mayor Fur, for that. Um, Mr. Garling and uh, Mr. Walton are in transit, and this is actually over in uh, the uh, the highway division. And I believe Scott Bruner is the uh, the staff person who has the most knowledge about our traffic signalization problems, our, our traffic signalization um, program. And uh, County Administrator, if I might bring him up for a couple of questions. Mr. Brunner. Mr. Brunner, it's, it's my understanding that um, the, um, the statement made by the MPO executive director when the inquiry was made as to why traffic light signalization was so low on the list of, of priorities uh, for federal funding uh, was a statement that uh, the county had not committed to, um, to support the traffic signalization uh, program and the upgrades. Uh, had you had communication over the past months and years with staff on an ongoing, MPO staff on an ongoing basis with regard to the county already having funded the capital program for traffic light signalization improvements? Uh, yes, actually as far back as 2008, um, when we were looking for an all fiber deployment we had discussions and actually had an item on the 2035 long-range transportation plan, which was the plan before the, the current one. So we had, in 2009, we had a program for 
five areas of the county to go to all fiber. So we've been talking about that. But as, as you know, we've switched to more of a hybrid deployment, fiber, cellular, wireless, and that type of thing. So this, this particular item we've, we've been discussing for really since 2015. And just recently, as far as three or four weeks ago, we were asked by the Florida Department of Transportation through MPO staff to reconfirm our commitment on this request. Um, they did mention that we didn't have a resolution, which we did not have at this moment because this board has already approved the O&M for fiber optics and cellular network communications for the signal system. Right. So, that, so we are gonna go ahead and do the resolution, but it's already been in our capital funding since 2012. So I, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that you had been in communication both with emails and with uh, phone calls with uh, the highest staff persons at the MPO uh, regarding traffic light signalization. Is that true? That's absolutely true. And we have had a number of discussions here on this Board of County Commissioners and at the MPO with regard to the concerns that traffic light signalization is, is somehow um, creating or, or exacerbating um, traffic congestion. So I know that this, this matter has been discussed over and over at the MPO level in this county commission. Had you ever been asked by any MPO member in all these discussions that there was a need for a resolution? No. Okay. Well, I'm glad we have one now. Uh, I'll second the motion. It's already been seconded. So I have Commissioner Holness in queue. Uh, true, uh, Mr. Bruner, true uh, county administrator. Uh, when I got here, I know we had looked to upgrade our technology. We spent quite a bit of money. Do you remember how much it cost us to, to change out the computer system? Because that was one of the first steps that we made, correct? That, that's correct. Uh, how, do you, any idea what range? What? It, 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 it was a combination of hardware, software, and network. Yes. And it's running about $21 million that we spent in the last five or six years. And right now, about a third of our system is on fiber. The majority of the remainder is on cellular. And we do have some digital over copper network. But the key thing is, is that the current signal software, the regional signal software that we use, mm -hmm. is state of the art. It is at virtually 100% of our intersections. It is, the, the last version is literally just about six weeks old. It's made by one of the world's uh, premier traffic companies uh, we have had lots of people come in. Um, DOT has hired several external consultants to look at our system, try to improve corridors, and those national experts did very, very little to be able to improve what we already have. So, I mean, we're at a situation where about a third of the about a third of the network is at or over capacity during during the peak hours, and so we're we're kind of at that stage where we're um, just really shifting green time around trying to reallocate it to the major arterials. But um, this fiber project that we're talking about now, I just wanna make it clear that it's more related to going to the next level of bringing on new and emerging technologies that are out there right now. We're working very closely with transit on transit signal priority. The algorithms that implement that are very high speed, do a lot of mathematical calculations in half a second. They need the fiber. 
you may have heard us talk about adaptive signal control. It just uses a lot of sensors, just takes real-time information and calculates what's happening at that very moment. That needs fiber. Real, real video feeds, travel time information, interconnected vehicles, things that are in progress right now that we don't even know exactly the network that's going to be used. All we really know is that fiber will be necessary. So that's, that's kind of what this next step is. And it's good to see the, ha the happiness in your face. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the joy it seems to bring you that we are where we are. So, so it's, it's a good thing. Uh, when this came up, you know, I, I also talked about the... Uh, the, the need for us to uh, add to what we're doing by doing what Miami-Dade County and Palm Beach has done, which is to add the additional penny. Uh, they are both at uh, uh, seven, seven cents on, on our seven percent on uh, sales tax in order that the additional penny has been added in. Last year, we weren't able to do it. But I think in order for us to do all these things, we need to look at it comprehensively. In addition to what you're doing with signalization, we have to look at everything, how we enhance probably some of these uh, intersections, uh, how we, we probably do some more stuff with, uh, with our buses and, 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 and our local uh, shuttles that goes through the neighborhoods that then adds to that first and last mile and, and other things that we might need to do. So we could we could probably match Palm Beach and, and Miami-Dade in terms of what they're uh, collecting and, and uh, putting forth. Uh, just today, one of the members of the audience, uh, Benny, who spoke on the issue of the additional uh, uh, wheelchair-accessible vehicles, uh, said, you know, Miami-Dade County allow for uh, disabled to, to get access to their transit system with no cost. Uh, so that they can be productive. And, and uh, I says, you know what, come back and talk to us about that because uh, that could probably be something that we put in place uh, if we're able to get this additional penny tax. Hopefully next year, uh, Administrator. That's a, that's a call by the board. Our goal is to get a program ready for your consideration. Um, this fall, and the board can decide at what point in time they would like to move forward. Thank you. We already moved it and we seconded it. All in favor, <coughs> signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Okay, that, this, um, that concludes our entire agenda. At this time, we're on to the mayor's report. Um, I would first, uh, on my um, non-agenda, would like to ask the county attorney's office if you could please provide us an update on the American Tennis Association project in the city of Miramar and what the next steps are that need to be taken by the county or the city to um, either move the project ahead or do whatever we have to do with it. I, I've been hearing things out there as I've gone out into the community, and I just want to make sure that I'm clear on what we're dealing with going forward on that project. You don't have to answer it today, but if you could just bring that back for us, I'd appreciate it. We can put it on another agenda, Ms. Henry. Okay. We can put that item on another agenda. Okay. okay. Um, Second thing I wanted to say that I attended three events on Saturday. Particularly of note is the um, City of Hollandale Beach's O.B. Johnson Football Park. Their football field is finally open and the children in Northwest Hollandale have a place to play football okay. now. Um, along with Commissioner Udine, we attended Pioneer Day 
in um, Parkland. We have four, honored 14 people who've made a difference in the history of Broward County. I met a gentleman by the name of Willie Clark, who is 104 years young. He was out there hanging with the best of them, and he was moving a little better than some of them. So he was doing great, and um, I, it was just so great to see, you know, um, some of the people who've contributed to our history. Um, the last thing was that we ended the day with Miramar Day, um, 62 years old. One of my cities just turned 62 years old. And they were celebrating Miramar Day in Lakeshore Park. Um, the last thing I would be remiss if I did not talk about Edith Letterberg and the annual, 34th annual Broward County Senior Hall of Fame. We had a blast. It was so much fun. And um, it was great to see um, all of them come up and, t and take their awards and their honors. It was, it was a, a really terrific um, day. And we ended the day listening to the Port Everglades Association luncheon, where we had a panel of Mark Gale, Stacy Ritter, Steve Cernak. They talked about our three ep economic engines, and it was awesome to hear about our port and our tourism and our future. Um, on Wednesday, May 17th, I wanted to let you know that we proclaimed it Nancy Nortman and Dairy Queen Day. Um, we have the oldest Dairy Queen in Broward County, located in the city of Miramar. It was built in 1953 by her father. It's located on the corner of 19th Street and 441. But Been what's... Many times. <laughs> yes, we know. <laughs> you, were, uh, you were born about then, right? 1953? Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> Nancy Norman, <laughs> I, we don't know that. We may have started there. We don't know that. <laughs> so this Dairy Queen has received a national recognition for cleanliness and upkeep. So I thought that that was really significant. So gave them a proclamation last week. With that, that concludes my um, agenda. I'll start on my left, Commissioner Eugene. 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 I was um, getting ready to tell him. I <laughs> just want to, uh, again, you, you mentioned a lot of things I was going to mention, but the Pioneers Day out at uh, Parkland was fantastic, and I was proud to attend in the city of Tamarack the 2,678th birthday of Buddha. And uh, it was Sakayama Buddha Day in Broward County, Florida over the weekend, so that was fun. And uh, have a great week. Commissioner Rich. Thank you. Um, I would just like to mention that um, uh, Chip LaMarca and I uh, were uh, at the fifth anniversary um, celebration of our Veterans Court. Um, it was especially meaningful for me because my last year in the Florida legislature is the year that we passed the Veterans Court, and I couldn't believe that five years have actually passed. And uh, I have to say that uh, it took place in our beautiful new courthouse, one of the courtrooms, uh, and Judge Weinstein presided. And I have to say he used such great judgment by selecting Judge Ed Merrigan to be the head of the Veterans Court. He does an amazing, amazing job. And Stephen Moss was there to speak about Mission United, and we had a couple of the veterans who have successfully graduated uh, from the program and are now working in our community and um, living productive lives. So uh, I have to say it's a, a you know a wonderful uh, experience to 
to see the progress and to know that our veterans are being so well served. Commissioner Vogan. I'll defer my time to Commissioner Ryan. <laughs> I thought you might defer your time to somebody else. Um, a couple of items. First, uh, Memorial Day is coming up this Monday, so everybody please have a safe and enjoyable Memorial Day weekend and remember what this holiday represents. Uh, there will be a ceremony at the uh, Fort Lauderdale Cemetery that's located on State Road 84 uh, between Andrews Avenue and I-95. It's across from the Armory. And um, it's, a, it's a really moving ceremony. It starts at 9 o'clock, and it'll go for about an hour and a half. Uh, I also want to mention that uh, there was a Dairy Queen on US-1 in Dania Beach. It's now Dairy Bell. So it may have been the first one, but it wasn't the longest continuous one. Certainly that was the one that you recognized out in Miramar. And the last item is I wanted to have everybody know that we have a real celebrity that sits on our dais. Uh, I had the opportunity of inviting Vice Mayor Furr to a uh, charity golf tournament. Uh, it was for the St. Marie's <laughs> Men's Club, and it was this past Saturday. The, you forgot to and show up. Unfortunately, I was um, had had, had an inability to get there. But my brother was there, and also uh, a third person. So they have uh, four shots. They rotated three. But the important message is that the team that was led by Vice Mayor Furr ended up in first place and so i have a trophy for you all right that you will it will recognize so your but you get one as well right because you were on the team you get a participation i got trophy. I, I got a trophy and i did put it up on my desk all right and uh, secondly there is a second trophy that vice mayor for one for being the single golfer whose shot was closest to the pin. So, so I get two of them. I get two of them. You get two trophies, right. and um, oh we're very proud of hold you. Them Thank all, hold you. them all. Hold them all. we got to get a picture. Come here on. We go. We've got them all right here. you gotta, you got to get the participation on, on, trophy for Tim, though. There you go. <laughs> I, get the, I get the cheerleader trophy. You get the cheerleader trophy. <laughs> right. Is that it? That's it for me. Okay. <laughs> Vice Mayor Furr. Uh, thanks. That's hard to... Yeah, I was playing with Tim's brother, which, and it's like... It's almost like a, a, uh, a mirror version. Yeah, well. I know. Well, Tim, who Dairy has like, who, who, will tell, who will tell five actually very good jokes per hole. So I, by the end, I, I would have had an entire repertoire if I had been writing them all down. But it, it was, a, it was a, we missed you, Tim. We missed you. But it did give us a chance to play a lot. We got to hit a lot more, so it was okay. Um, only a couple things. I, I wanted to wish everybody a, a memorial, a nice Memorial Day as well, but, and remember those that gave their lives for our country. And I also want to give kudos to the Port Everglades Association, who did a very good job, uh, particularly the reporter that was there that was asking questions, Steve Bousquet, who asked excellent questions, on point, things that people really wanted to, to hear about. Uh, I thought they did an excellent job. And that's all I have. Thank you. Commissioner Holmes. Thank you. Well, let me thank all of you for your support of our effort to get TPS, Temporary Protective Status, extended for uh, the Haitian community. Uh, however, it was only granted for six months. And, and with basically the advice that these folks need to get their tickets in order uh, to be thrown out uh, in six months' time. I hope that the administration will consider 
the fact that uh, these folks are very productive, that they have families here, American-born children uh, who are automatically citizens, and when they throw these folks out, uh, who's going to be taking care of those kids? Are we expecting to send these American-born children's children who are citizens into the situation that they certainly will face going back to Haiti with all the issues that it faced today? Uh, I want to also thank Christine, especially, and all the attorneys. Yeah, Christine Carter. That's correct. Uh, she did a wonderful job helping us this past weekend. We served 114 applicants for citizenship at the Lord Hill Mall uh, Citizenship Drive. Uh, SEIU, uh, Florida Immigrant Coalition. Uh, my staff did a, a great job helping to organize, and several attorneys were there. Uh, Caribbean Bar, Jamaican American Bar Association, TJ Reddick Bar, amongst many, many, many volunteers. We had about 115 volunteers, and we served 114 people. So it was, it was really a sight to see. And we'll continue that this coming Saturday uh, again uh, for the applicants at 10 o'clock for volunteers at 9 a.m. Also, I left the air to go to Orlando, to the uh, Democratic Black Caucus, where they had me as one of their featured speecher, uh, speakers for uh, their annual uh, gala, Soul of the Party, uh, Excellence in Our Economic and Political Progress. Uh, there were about 300 statewide delegates there, uh, an excellent event. And then I drove back the next morning to be here for Unifest. Uh, at uh, Lauderdale Lakes where Congressman Hastings was a grand marshal. Uh, another very good event uh, with a display of uh, culture, food, and uh, fashion from the Caribbean uh, countries that are represented here in South Florida. We voted earlier uh, to allow me to go to St. Eustatius uh, an event sponsored by their Tourism and Development Foundation and their Chamber of Commerce. Uh, this is a result of Florida's International Trade and Cultural Expo. They were here with about eight people in the delegation uh, last year. We work to continue those relationships, and, and as far as Florida International Trade and Cultural Expo go, FITSI, we have uh, Brexit. Uh, we'll be sending a delegation here this year uh, to that event, and they're working to bring uh, some manufacturers from Britain uh, to participate here, and hopefully we can get them here permanently. They're looking to do that in, in, in building a world, world Trade Center uh, with the World Trade Center owner from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. FITSI this year will be October 17th, Actually, the 16th through the 18th. Uh, the 16th, we're working to host former presidents of many of the Latin American countries at the Broad Convention Center. And thanks to all the people who have uh, stepped up to help with it this year, the Fort Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce has engaged uh, the uh, alliance has engaged and many other chambers locally have engaged in that. So uh, we look forward to a very great year 
for Florida's International Trade and Cultural Expo this year. Thank you. Commissioner Geller. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Mayor. On Wednesday, I had um, my uh, town meeting in Davie at Davie Town Hall. I will continue to be holding town meetings throughout the district in each of the cities. Uh, one other quick issue, uh, Mayor Sharif mentioned that she was at O.B. Johnson Park. Mm -hmm. um, I had the privilege of knowing O.B. Johnson. He was actually someone I considered a friend, uh, tremendous help to me in my first campaign in 1988. Real gentleman, really cared about his community. And, I'm, you know, there's been a park named after him for many years, but I'm sure that most of you never had the opportunity to know him you really missed a lot. He was really a good guy. Actually, when we did the ribbon cutting on the uh, Obi Johnson uh, Auditorium and the um, after school center, uh, his relatives were there. And I believe his son was there as well. Yeah, very nice man, very nice family. Okay, um, County Administrator. Uh, yes, I'd like to uh, say thank you to Broward Health. Um, they will be joining our staff for the Broward Municipal District to provide a health mobile bus that will go from our, all of our regional parks so that our residents, as you well know, um, the, in, in many of those areas, the economic status of those individuals, but they will be able to go and do a risk assessment, a health risk assessment um, at our neighborhood parks. So, um, Again, I'd like to say thank you. I know they, they have their share of issues, but this is one thing that is positive, and, and we'd like to thank them for their support. Thanks. County Attorney, County Auditor. All right, that is it. We are adjourned. <laughs>